Hello, I'm Christian Morosky. You may know me as Dingus on the Quarter 3 Movie Podcast. Before we start this week's podcast, I need to tell you about something very special real quick. Something that comes along once a year, like Christmas or the Super Blue Blood Moon, which I'm pretty sure Michael Bay is making into a movie. And that is the 2018 Make Us Watch Whatever You Want Fun Drive. That's right. For this podcast, which will take place on March 18th, you can get us to watch whatever movie you want. Any movie you want, even anime, like we did last year, twice! What's more, for this strange time after the creepy eyes of March, Tom Chick is even lifting his embargo on documentaries. That's right. If you want us to watch a documentary for this podcast, we will do it. You could make us watch that 7,000-hour O.J. Simpson documentary that won Academy Award for Best Documentary last year, if you want to. And Tom would have to honor that as a movie. True story. Also, Kelly Kelly Wand would have to synopsize that whole thing. Can you imagine that? All you have to do is donate at least a dollar. That's it. A dollar. Seriously. Just donate to paypal.me slash qt3. That's paypal.me slash the letter Q, the letter T, the numeral 3, or PayPal directly to 3x3 at quarter3.com. Whatever method you choose, please be clear in your comments what movie or movies you want us to do. Every dollar you donate is a vote. So you could send in $2, for instance, uh, with uh, one vote for the movie The Rock and one vote for Zapped. Or you could send in $50 and have all 50 votes go toward The Hunt for Red October. Just, you know, totally up to you. Although Russian hackers will probably try to sway you toward the first two choices. I, you know, they hate Seaman Beaumont because he's an awesome sonar dude. I'm just saying. Please send in your votes by March 11th. During our March 11th podcast, we will do our drawing for the movie you have chosen live on the air. Just send your votes to paypal.me slash qt3 or 3x3 at quarter3.com. The show will be on March 18th. Since Tom used the word erotic in his promo for the 2018 Make Us Watch Whatever You Want fun drive, I'll just say this. If we could find the movie Rochelle Rochelle, Young Girl's Strange Erotic Journey from Milan to Minsk, we'd certainly do that movie. Dang. (laughs) I can only imagine the opposite for that. Thank you so much for your support and your encouragement. It means the world to us. Now enjoy this week's quarter to three movie podcast. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees when I'm caught in between counting. One, two, three, feet apart, man, free, getting down with three feet, everybody loves open. Hello, welcome to the quarter to three movie podcast for February 2018's Three by Three. My name is Tom Chick. I am here with Christian Malinsky. I would like to be known as Irwin. And with a tagline for the month of February 2018, Kelly Wand. A parade is something you stand in line for, and the main event is watching another line move. <laughs> Dingus, why on earth would Kelly Wand use that as a tagline? What is this month's 3x3? Three three? There's got to be a reason. Yeah. Well, this month's 3x3. You don't just say random shit. Your no, shit is calculated. always – you have specific shit. considered. Um, the reason he would say that is that this 
uh, months, three by three, is uh, parades, marches, and group protests. All right. Before we do that, though, Dingus, I have a question for you. Yeah. What's a movie you saw this week? All right. One of the main characters in the movie is named Irwin, and I loved oh, the I dude guess? who played Irwin. Can I guess? Oh, Walk yeah, go ahead. Ahead. Well, Bill Irwin is one of the voices in Christopher Nolan's magnum opus and work of genius, Interstellar. So maybe <laughs> that's what it was. All right, it's, but it's not it's Bill Irwin. It's actually spelled it's Erwin. It's like E-R-W-I-S. Oh, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, he's one of the Rohirrim. No. He was great as Dread, too. <laughs> it's Go played on. by a dude named Hayden Zeto. Oh, I thought you were going to say Hayden Sterling. So that many names. That. Hayden right, Zeto? Is he one of the Harps Brothers? The Marx Brothers? <laughs> Harps Brothers? What? <laughs> it's an instrumental group I enjoy. <laughs> All right, let me give you a quote from it, Tom, see if you What's happening? Your head is too big for your body. It makes you look ridiculous, and you'll never be able to fix it. Oh, shoot. Uh, it's something I've seen. I know uh, this. Uh, Christian Bale on the set of Terminator. <laughs> to, to Shane Hurlbut, his cinematographer, right. Yeah. Uh, shoot, Dingus, I know oh, this. God. I need a better hint, Dingus. All right. Um, I had the worst thought I've got to spend the rest of my life with myself. Ugh, fucking uh, Baumbach, probably. It does sound Bombachian, but we've seen we've all we've discussed all Bombach movies, and Dingus has seen them all already. Or late Farrelly brothers. Oh right, they're yeah, right. Chris here, here, yeah. I'll give you one final uh, one final uh, hint, Tom. Okay. A movie about okay. doppelgangers. Kelly, one, this is between me and Dingus. Go sit in the corner. Yeah, I don't know what it is. <laughs> and right. I finally thought, you know what? I'd rather have the dark, empty, nothingness. I really would. Sounds relaxing. Have a nice life without me, fuckers. Well, what's the quote? <laughs> I totally know what this is. That's Dad the suicide it. note I pretended that I wrote. Thing is, I'm just going to say, oh, yeah, I'm glad you saw that movie. Yeah. I might. Still uh, so, so, yeah, this week I saw Edge of 17. Oh, um, God. Damn. I mean, Dad nabbit. Shoot a monkey. Finally. I knew sucks. I recognized those. <laughs> yeah. Have a yeah. nice life without Talk me, fuckers. I am totally enthralled by this movie. See? I, See? Yeah, you were absolutely right. I'm totally crazy about it. Um, it's hard not it to really, like it. It really is a nice companion piece with my number one movie from last year, Lady Bird, um, in a number of ways. There's like a weird car thing that goes on with the little girl and the mom uh, where she won't get out of the car. It's kind of the juxtaposition. <laughs> um, Oh yeah, you're and, right. That's a good point. Uh and with the the dad who's this uh you know really amiable nice dude who gets along with actor. the daughter. Yeah, he was yeah. so fun while he was there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, while he was there. Um which really brought to mind uh Tracy Letts and how much I loved him in uh Lady Bird. Um and Haley Steinfeld is freaking amazing. Good Lord, she's amazing. Now I'm going to get them mixed up in my head because of this, what you're doing. Kelly, one, have you seen Edge of 17? Or are you the yeah. one who pulled out on this? Okay, you have right. No, 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 I saw it. Good. He's right. It's good. Yeah, I just want to say like about, Haley, about Haley Steinfeld. Chloe Moritz Grace, see? This is what you should be doing. Yeah. This is what should yeah. have happened. We lost you, but luckily we have Haley Steinfeld. Yeah. And the way the relationship between, um, between her and her brother plays out is great. 
the way the relationship between her and Woody Harrelson as the teacher plays out is totally unexpected and great. Um, It works very well. And this, this kid, uh, Hayden Zietto, I don't know how to say his name, who plays Irwin, who's the, the Asian fella, right? Yeah. The, the guy who does the, uh, yeah. the student Filmmaker. film. Yeah. He's, he's so funny. Yeah, he's so he's charming. He's, he's just, he's just so likable in so many ways. And he's just that guy that I was in high school. Um, I'm, I wasn't that talented, but I was the nice guy that the girls were like, me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> me, you know, you're, you're nice. I'm the non nice guy that they're like, me, <laughs> but you at least. but but you know they wind up and she winds up like oh, they they have this great there's what's what's great about the script is is that there's this great push and pull where where she just cannot figure out her correct frequency she can't figure out exactly how to balance things you know she tries to joke with erwin and she ends up upsetting him and pushing him away and she tries to get this other guy and she ends up accidentally sending him this horrible text i mean there's so many wonderful things that she just can't quite figure out and that it's called the edge of 17 makes perfect sense to me um uh, you were so right tom to to push me toward watching this movie because it is it is right in my uh right in my zone uh, I, I I laughed out loud for a lot of the movie, and then you had me crying at the end and in various parts of the movie. So thanks for making me cry, jerk. Um, Talk to Kelly Freeman Craig, the woman who wrote and directed it, not me. It's, it's just beautifully done, and you know it's it's mainly because Haley Steinfeld is so amazing in it. Um, but you know the other Haley is great too. Haley Lou Richardson is is amazing. I mean, she's really. Yeah, she doesn't get to do a, little, a lot or enough, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but she's she's great in it. Everybody's great in it. It's it's really, you know, I, I I can't I can't say enough about how excited I am that I finally watched this movie and how silly. And Blake Jenner, Blake Jenner is in it. Holy cats! I I was like, well, who's this guy? Who's this guy? And he's from Everybody Wants Some. Yeah, see? Don't you love that movie now? <laughs> yeah, finally. Um, <laughs> I remember when it first came out, and I just knew who was in it. I had just assumed it was going to be a romantic comedy about her and Blake Jenner as a, as a couple. I don't know why I thought that. Uh, but I was so uh, – I, I, you know, you use the word – the term push-pull. I just loved that dynamic between the two of them mm-hmm. uh, as brother and sister. Yeah. yeah. Well, it also sets sets off really well against that weird dynamic in um, – election i think with the with the older brother and the younger sister uh but i but i like this i don't know i I don't know if i would do an over under with election i I guess election might be slightly above this but i love the brother sister dynamic in this i love i love the way that it plays out and the way that he's not just this dopey jock that that it really pays off well in the end. And I don't want to give too much away. I know we're not supposed to, but damn it. If you guys can see this movie, edge of 17, the edge of 17, sorry, because there's one called edge of 17. I think this is called the edge of 17. Um, please do. Cause it's, it's totally worth it. And, and indeed watch it in a double feature with lady bird and you'll see Which the connective tissue. Hmm? Which one oh. is better? Oh, uh, Lady Ladybird is was my favorite movie from last year. 
Um, I really, really liked this movie a lot. I loved it. Uh, but I would put Lady Bird in a slightly different class. I think I would too. But then I feel bad once I do it. Like I've thought too, I haven't well, thought it out. <laughs> you know, on, on tonight of all nights, um, you know, uh, having a horse race between things that are pieces of art is silly. Ladybird's uh, weirder. Yeah, it is silly. It's true. But I, I really love the way Greta Gerwig um, understands the relationship between the mother and the daughter. And uh, again, with the push-pull, that kind of feeling of how are we going to set set these things up? Because I was listening to an interview with uh, that Laurie Metcalf did. And she was talking about um, how showing up on set, Greta Gerwig had worked so hard on the script and had tuned it so specifically that they ha- they didn't have to do that normal thing that actors sometimes have to do on a set where they show up and, well, how are we going to do this scene? What are we going to do with it? This isn't quite working. They felt like it was really working well all the way around, and they'd rehearsed a little bit beforehand, too, to get this feeling of – well, who's going to set off the conflict this time? Well, we can't have them. We can't have you can't have it going the same way. You, you can't have the mom always setting off the conflict. Sometimes she's going to set off the conflict, and sometimes things are going to come together. And how are they going to come together? Um, and I I just really love that relationship, um, and the relationship in in the age of seventeen. Uh, I think the the there's a lot of different relationships that are important. The friendship with, um, uh, I can't remember the other Haley's, uh, character name. Um, but the re- relationship between Nadine and her, the relationship between Nadine and her mom and the relationship between Nadine and her brother are all really important to her. Whereas the relationship in, um, Lady Bird is, between the mother and the daughter is really integral to the movie and I think really well put together. Um, and Greta Gerwig, who comes from Sacramento and this is, this movie is very much a Sacramento movie has said, uh, some of those things are real and some of those things are not. One of the, one of the great interviews that she did, if you want to call it an interview was on this show called wait, wait, don't tell me where she talks about doing the movie. And, um, She's asked, well, did you jump out of a running car? She goes, no, I, I got out of the car, but it was idling. Um, so she understands how to structure this, uh, this fiction out of real life. Um, and I think The Edge of Seventeen does that very well as well, but I would put Lady Bird above that. Uh, I will say Haley, was, uh, uh, Haley Steinfeld is more likely to win uh, Worst Dressed for Edge of Seventeen. Than Saoirse Ronan and Lady Bird. That's very true, and even and Woody Harrelson's teacher says that at the beginning when she comes in and says, "I'm going to commit suicide," and he's like, "Well, you know, you know, I sit here and and try to have this moment, uh, the, the, these thirty minutes that a teacher gets, uh, and one of the worst dressed students comes in. Um, they just have a wonderful relationship. I love that relationship too." So he finally, shown her. Oh, go on. No, no, you go ahead. He should have shown her his suicide note from uh, 
three billboards when Shiro. Oh, <laughs> ouch! Damn it. Oscar Wilde, Reverend. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What were you gonna say, Kelly? One that would have been R-rated. That would have been inappropriate. Oh, that's super inappropriate. Yeah. Well, it's seventeen means seventeen's you can see R-rated. Yeah, but you can't have a teacher interacting with a student that way with that kind of material. Kelly Wand, you just did the plot of Blue Car with uh, David Strathern and uh, one of those that's who's the chicken swim fan who looks like Julia Stiles. Yeah. No, that's a different girl, I think. Oh. Well, oh Blue Car is about a, is it one of these uh, movies where the creative writing teacher is super inappropriate with his student, and that's what you would have gotten in Edge of Seventeen if Woody Harrelson had read that that note. To Haley Steinfeld. Super inappropriate, Kelly Wand. We can't have it. Yep. Uh, Blue is the warmest car. Yeah. Kelly Wand, finally, Dingus has made this a podcast where all three of us have seen Edge of 17. It took a while, but we got there. Yeah, I'm surprised because it's most dingusy than it is I us. think you're probably right about that, Kelly. Man, I loved it so much. It slipped through oh. his crack. Well, Kelly Wand, what movie did you make sure didn't slip through your crack this week? All right, I saw Cheap Thrills. Which I told you. Finally, uh, yeah, now, yeah, yeah. You said we didn't talk about time. that. We didn't talk about that on the podcast, though, did we? Oh, all right. No, but there's four movies, and there was one I I really want to talk about. I was just oh. letting you know. Oh, you're going to give us a list, and then you're going to tell us which one wins the I'm going to talk about this award. Yeah. Okay. And then I'll, I'll take follow-up questions. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike our president. Oh, by the way, the NRA wants to raise the age of R-rated movies. It's their their minds. You know, uh, the president actually Donald Trump wants to that. actually have us have ratings. Yeah, I saw. <laughs> I know. I saw that, and I felt bad. I couldn't do a joke about it rating a movie this week because we didn't. We're not talking about. We're not doing movie rating segments. <laughs> so I saw Cheap Thrills, Phantom Thread, Good Time, uh, and Horror Story. Horror Story is an Indian horror movie. I'm writing a horror script, so I'm really seeking out bad horror movies. Indian, like the subcontinent India, or like Native yes, American? Yes, like Punjabi, not like... like a, so it's basically a Bollywood horror movie. That's what I was thinking, and I go... I, so I started watching it, I go... That, I'm going, I wonder if they're going to start dancing like when they get chased by the ghost. <sighs> I was like hoping that was going to happen, and I could tell that it wanted to, because the music gets really loud, and then... <laughs> They sort of run very in like in slow motion, like oh here it comes, and then it someone dies lamely. But <laughs> at at the beginning, the reason they go to the haunted hotel because it opens like the grudge, like this guy jumps off a ledge, and then uh, the seven young <laughs> oh. kids show up, and one of them's named Neil, and he's either joining a band in another city or becoming an accountant. I couldn't tell because there's a lot of subtitles, but. They're just he's leaving, so it's his going away parts. They're like, yeah. And so they get drunk all night long, and then everyone's gone from the restaurant except them, and they're still loud and stupid, like, yeah. And then a news show comes on and it's like, yeah, a guy jumped off a ledge. Uh, pretty intense on the news. And then they one of them goes, Hey, that's what we should do for Neil's going away party. We should spend the night in that hotel. Cause that guy killed himself. <laughs> and then one of the waiters goes, it's a haunted hotel. You shouldn't, and then walks off, and you never see him again. And so then they go to the hotel. And then it kind of goes downhill. But like that's their reason for doing it. Like they're all dressed up in gowns. They're gonna go in this like moldy hotel for the night. 
It sounds like every bad, crappy American horror movie where teenagers go someplace dangerous and then get attacked and have to fight a ghost. Or right. Something. Yeah, that's what it, was. it jumped the shark the second they get to the hotel. But uh, at the OK, so then during it, they're being chased by a nun in a wheelchair and they find some <laughs> occult books in the gift shop of the hotel, which seems really dumb on the ghost part. And so they open them and they go, oh, wait, this place used to be a mental institution. And the chick who's chasing us uh, got electroshock treatments. And it says here that ghosts get their strength from certain objects. So if we blow up the electroshock machine, we can get out of the hotel. Because it's kind of like House of Leaves and Great Encounters. Like, they can't get out. They keep driving around in circles. Mm-hmm. So then they blow up the electroshock machine. And that's so. how they escape. All right. So horror story, an Indian horror movie that you watched for research and – they do not break out in song and dance. No, right. it's not worth seeing. I just want to tell you the good parts. All right. So horror can story. I, I'm, I'm not going to see that. Can yeah. I ask really quick, is good time good time or good times? Good times. It's singular. good time single, and it's not even good. It's a terrible time. It's a weird title. Uh, <laughs> it's ironic, it's, Kelly Wand. Yeah, but I got who, that but some, but I kept thinking, it. Oh, it's going to be like Go. While I was watching it, like it's gonna get. I thought it was gonna go Bollywood too, and it doesn't. Right. I remember so somebody like, doing it for the Frame Game. What's it? Who's in it? Well, we um, talked about. I talked about it pretty already. It's it's a, a couple of brothers named uh, Benny and Josh Safdie, uh, who are super indie New York filmmakers. Uh, this is like their fourth movie or something. They got Robert Pattinson for it. But it's oh, Robert Pattinson. That, yeah. So then I told Kelly Wan to see because it has a very gritty '70s feel. But Kelly Wan wanted to talk right. about horror story, so. All right. Good thing uh, we know about the, the nun in the wheelchair. <laughs> we have a nun, nun in a wheelchair. Is the 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 antagonist? That's terrifying, Kelly Wand. <laughs> it, All like, I need to do is ask if Kelly thinks it's uh, a movie that uh, I should see. Yeah. 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 The acting is really really good, yeah. and you'll like that. Yeah. Totally. Well, I love Robert Pattinson because he's really good in it, and he does something kind of bold, but it's a spoiler. Okay. All right, but thank the you. The kind of character he plays is it's different from the rover. That's all I'm saying. All right, well, it's good. Very good. Thank you. I'd recommend it to you, yes, and anyone. But it's right. still a weird title. <laughs> Spoiler right. alert. Tom's turn. Tom. All right, turn. I went ahead and saw Annihilation, which opened in uh, oh. in the U.S. this this week. <laughs> uh, it's based on a book that Kelly Wan and I have both read. Kelly, you've read the whole trilogy, right? Yeah, I love Good it. Lord, oh, you love it. Yeah. You love where it goes. Well, where else is it going to go? Someplace less ridiculous? I don't know. When Tom got back from it, I called it an Andrew Garfield film. Oh, you read the third one? Because the third one's where you go, all right, that's the third one. No, I I just uh, looked up. I read the first one and then looked up, uh, read the Wikipedia entry for the other two. Don't. I'm not gonna read. I'm so glad oh, I didn't. Yeah. After reading the Wikipedia uh, entries, I was super ooh, glad I didn't read them. So but dumb. It's here's right. the problem. Here's the problem with Annihilation, though. It's Alex Garland uh, adapting the script from this Jeff Vandermeer uh, novel, which I, I think is kind of. Pardon? I can't believe you did it. You, yeah, there were such good parts that you blew through on Wikipedia. Uh, I wasn't that crazy about the first one anyway. Like the first one. Wait. The, the problem with Annihilation, if, if well, it has multiple problems, uh, but I think the main problem is uh, Alex Garland really didn't care that much about the book. Uh, no. So if, the trilogy wasn't written when he made it, is the thing. Like it was kind of like a Game of Thrones sitch. Did right. You know that? 
I did. Okay. Uh, but uh, even then, like whatever, and, and I don't think, well, yeah, I don't, I don't think that would have any bearing on what movie he had made. He just had no interest in making a movie of of this book, and that's fine. I'm normally okay with that. But if you go in, like, there's no dungeon, the crawler isn't in there, the script and plants is all no, none of that's in there. Even the the women, the the whole dynamic with the hypnot uh, the hypnotist, uh, all of that, none of that's in there. What Alex Garland does is he just wants to make a, a sort of a, a a dumb adventure movie where these people go into freaky mutant land. And what he is striving for very, very unsuccessfully is a, a tone and, and a, a mystery along the lines of Under the Skin, the Jonathan Glazer movie. Right. And he is nowhere near – able to accomplish that for a variety of reasons, mainly because he just doesn't have the strength of style that Jonathan Glazer had for Under the Skin. Uh, but also when he does the kinds of things that are in Under the Skin, they don't work because they've got no support structure and they just feel random. Uh, the, the finale is so super dumb. Um, and then mm. after the finale, there's a non-ending ending that's supposed to be mysterious and ambiguous and open-ended. And uh, So I, ju I just feel he has no interest in the book. Uh, and he doesn't have the strength uh, to make a movie like Under the Skin, which I think this is clearly kind of aping in certain ways. And so what you get is just this this kind of randomly told story about uh, five women. By the way, the book is four women whose names are never oh, yeah. given. These are five women, I guess, because he wanted to get five actresses in there. And their names are given in their backstories, and they all open up about each other. And uh, but But there's no – the book clearly justifies why – an expedition of four women is going in and the movie just kind of shrugs and it's like, well, you know, they tried dudes. And so now they're sending in women and there's nothing else said about it or no other reason. It's just kind of this random gratuitous, uh, girl power thing. Let's have the, the women's expedition. Um, and, and the, the main problem with that, by the way, Natalie Portman is awful. She, I don't think she has any sense for what she's doing. Uh, poor little Tessa Thompson, who was this awesome Valkyrie in Thor. Uh, she's just supposed to be the nerdy scientist type. And basically her character trait, her character trait in Annihilation, uh, she wears glasses. Uh, there's a there's a, a lovely actress I think from TV named Gina Rodriguez who just kind of plays the brash bull dyke chick, uh, oh, a Jesus. beautiful a beautiful Swedish actress who uh, doesn't get enough screen time. Uh, I really liked her, and then Jennifer Jason Lee, kind of having fun but playing a weird uh, cold villain type like she's the psychologist who in the, the novel that's how they should all be <laughs> right yeah yeah but uh and so the, the women don't mesh their characters don't really fit uh, they don't and, even look though well they, they, like, they don't yeah, like each i mean but in, in the book right there's the whole reason because of the antagonism that so right. the, the 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 dimension they go to in the book creates this antagonism between them in the movie it feels super forced when somebody says Oh, I don't like you anymore. This place is driving me crazy, and one of them becomes a villain. Like it's that kind of dumb, abrupt thing. Uh, and there is one. So what's left is the freaky mutant adventures, and there are two set pieces: one involving an alligator, and the other one involving a bear. And the bear set piece is actually really horrific and chilling. Uh, the bear set piece is awesome. I loved that bit. Super gory, super just uncomfortable. Um, but then the alligator one did does this thing which drives me crazy in in monster movies, where uh, there's a woman standing in a doorway. Tessa Thompson's just standing in a doorway, and she's got her back to the the interior, and she's speaking to people out in front of the house. And suddenly, something yanks her super powerfully into the house. 
and you're like, whoa, what did that? Like, what kind of monster did that? And they run in the house, and the house has this flooded part, which is underwater, and, and she's being dragged under the water. And so uh, Natalie Portman runs in there, is pulling her, and there's some kind of push-pull where something is dragging her underwater. And they finally get her loose, and they walk up to the, 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 the bank, and out of the water comes an alligator. Now, that's kind of a cool idea, but if an, how, did, how does an alligator snatch her backwards that abruptly when it's not even in the water and then drag her underwater and she's not wounded? Because the whole thing about this alligator, right. too, is it's got crazy shark teeth, but it, it's, there's, it's, her, her leg isn't even wounded. Like there's no injury to her after we've seen her being pulled around. So it's just they wanted it to look super dramatic and super violent, and there's no repercussion and nothing appropriate to what an alligator could actually do in that scene. Which would have uh, made it interesting. Like Exactly, uh, right. And their whole thing about the alligator is, whoa, this alligator is weird, and it has shark teeth that fold in on itself, and that's not how alligators work. But, you know, these shark teeth, you know, they didn't hurt Tessa Thompson. Uh so yeah. at any rate, super disappointing. Uh, I re- it, well, maybe it, they did retract when she put it bitter. Yeah, it was me. just gumming her. <laughs> you go right. in, and really dumb teeth. Because <laughs> uh, that's the thing too with an like there are alligator horror movies that just don't like. Uh, there's one called Rogue with Sam Worthington. There's a really good one called uh, Blackwater. Blackwater. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and and the. In, in a good one, the alligator, when it gets you, you're kind of screwed because it does a thing where it turns over and rends it, its meat. Uh, but a movie where the alligator is just dragging someone through the water and they can get up and walk away from it, that just makes no sense. Yeah. Um, it like seems classes. like a hard book to film. Oh, it, yeah. It's, I, reading it, it I was like, how are you going to do this? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's not a lot, possible right. book to film. Well, the, Under the Skin felt the, that way too. Having read Under the exactly, Skin, it seems like exactly. an impossible book to film. But, yeah. and, and, and also, Jonathan Glazer wasn't really interested in the tone or the events of Under the Skin. He just kind of appropriated the title and the basic conceit to do his own trippy Kubrick. But it was the other way around. It was like a cheesy book in a weird, cool movie and a weird, cool book in a cheesy movie. Yeah, exactly. Kelly Wan. Yep. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought up the Tessa Thompson thing because I, I don't know if I brought this up last week when we were talking about Black Panther. Um but that Valkyrie uh, animation that you that you were so enamored of, Tom, uh-huh. from uh, oh, geez, what movie are we talking about? Uh, Thor uh, Ragnarok, where she's a Valkyrie, yeah. and Tom Hiddleston as Loki touches her head and accesses this memory she had of the fall of the Valkyries. Right. The the very beginning uh, part of um, Black Panther. I don't know if you remember it, but it's. Like Papa, tell me a story. I don't know if it's Papa. I don't know. It's Papa, and it's it's Michael Baba. Jordan talking to his. Uh, uh, it, yeah, like it. This is not the Black Panther talking that that little voiceover. It right, is right. Uh, the uncle talking to the nephew, talking to Michael Jordan, which I realized the second time I saw it. I didn't but catch it the first time. But it's a great bit of animation that reminded me of the Valkyrie sequence. Well, the, yeah, the Black Panther one also it, it plays on this idea of a sand table, which yeah. uh, which Shuri mentions a couple of times, and we actually see on their little UFO that he flies around. But they they have this technology, and the movie doesn't really play this up except for that scene where where scenes are rendered out of sand, uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's beautiful with that. Uh, yeah, the the Valkyrie one though was super painterly, I thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, that same kind of mythic, here's, here's something that happened a long time ago that's kind of part of lore, and, and it's legendary and mythical. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. No crawler? Jesus Christ. Yep, no crawler. Uh, the light, they, the open, they open showing a meteorite hitting the Earth, 
and then create uh, a shimmery bit. No. So we know we know no. from the get go what it is and where it comes from. <laughs> they, they kind of have a theory, but it's way more interesting. It's like ah. Uh. Yeah, no, it's just Alex Garland just had no desire to, to mess around with what the book did. So. Have you heard him say that or heard things that he said? Or no, 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 no just, just from extrapolating. Just, just from watching the movie and having read the book. So much of the book. Because uh-huh. the book is – a lot of the book takes place in like complete darkness. Uh, like, a lot of it's internal monologues. Exactly, and there, there's – a lot of it is kind of this Lovecraftian fear of something that you can't see in a presence uh, mm. and, and people going insane. And it's just not really filmable. They don't know why it's like that. Like the fact that it's a meteorite changes everything. Like yeah, she, you know, book open. She's like, it had, this thing happened 30 years ago. It's kind of hard to explain. <laughs> and then, and then you're like, oh, thanks for not telling me, Vandermeer. But then later on, when they get into it, you go, oh, that is kind of hard. God. <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't read it. Watching the second one. Oh, it gets so good. The writing's right. so good. It's such good. He's the prose is awesome. All right, if you say so. Earlier expeditions are interesting. Like you find out what happened on all. Of oh, them. that whole thing too about how, where she finds the journals and realizes that the there have that that's not even there. None of that's there. The whole idea that these these innumerable expeditions have been piling up, not even there. So they're the first expedition. No, nope, the they're the second. They're the second. The first one is Oscar Isaac's, uh, and he's the only one that comes back. There's that whole idea too, where one person comes back. Uh, and he's from the first expedition. Yeah, and there's something wrong with him, and that, that's that, that's the setup, which is really cool and intriguing. Um, but then they husband. go in, and they go in, and there's little found footage. They find cameras that Oscar Isaac's expedition left behind, so you get little found footage sequences. But that whole I did that whole freaky bit where she finds the journals, and I presume the book is one of the journals that she's writing, right? Uh, none of that is in the movie. There's nothing like that in the movie. Yeah. Uh, so, all right, have fun seeing. So, you'll actually be able to see it in. Th- this is a, a, a bold experiment. Is it is it has a theatrical run for three weekends before it's available online for streaming. Uh, and it, you know, it yeah, made ten million that. in its first weekend, so it's doing about as expected. But this is a, a, a kind of a test bed for what if we put something out theatrically for a few weeks with the understanding that hey, you can stream this in a couple of weeks, but if you want to see it in the theater. You know, you get three weekends. It seems like uh, a weird movie to do that with. It's I'm kind of not surprised because, it, yeah, it is niche, but I don't think it doesn't really have any star power and it's unusual. I don't I don't think the studios had high hopes for it doing much box office. But Arrival cleaned up. Uh, Arrival, by the way, is also a, a good analogy to it because he, mm. what, what Alex Garland does is he hijacks the story with this really forced message about – uh, no, no in, messages. No, no, about people indulging in self-destructive behavior, and he tries mm. to, he tries to, uh, he tries to give it a biological foundation too, uh, which Wait, makes so no that's, sense. That's the message of going into an unic- an unexplained weird uh, alien territory: is don't be self-destructive. Yep. Just, just what do you mean by a biological message? Uh, this whole idea that cells becoming cancerous is the same idea that life oh. at a fundamental level uh, becomes self-destructive. Uh, and then people become self-destructive because they sabotage relationships. Uh, people become oh, self-destructive because they sabotage their work, their careers. Uh, it's just it's just this movement towards entropy that people have. <laughs> and I oh. felt – I mean I know you guys liked Arrival, but I felt Arrival did the same thing. Is Arrival I thought was a really cool first contact movie, but then Denis Villeneuve wanted to add this – you know, is more thoughtful than Annihilation, but wanted to add this kind of 
poignant message to it about well you'll have to see the movie to find out but for me that message didn't work it just felt forced i didn't it felt like a bait and switch for me and i think there's some of the same thing going on with annihilation is hey here's an adventure movie where they're going to fight freaky mutants but nope there's going to be a message and then a crazy kubrick-esque ending that makes no sense and by the way it gets a c on cinema score Idiots did not like Annihilation, and I'm with idiots. Even though they dumbed it down just for them. <laughs> Again, I think that should be a great T-shirt that we should get. I'm with idiots. Idiots are tough graders. Oh, they're, no, I, I, I think they're just predictable. Right. I, could, I, I predicted watching it, even watching it when I was thinking, oh, this might be good. I was sort of thinking, yeah, people, this is going to tank on CinemaScore. Nobody's going like, to like this. It's like they're grading the predictability. And if it's a C, it's like, I didn't predict that. C. Fuck that well, we, we, That wasn't we, what we, I was expecting. We've mentioned this before, but I think it's a great on marketing, personally. Uh, oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I think yeah, you're it's right like, about do, that. Does, did the studio or whoever's promoting the movie create uh, an accurate representation so that the people who go on a Friday night know what they're getting? When they Next go on a Friday week, night thinking they're going to see a Natalie Portman adventure – no, <laughs> See, like Dean right. got a gun. That crowd pleaser. Well, that's, that's what happened with the movie Seven, which I've said before, is that people went thinking, "Oh, I'm seeing Morgan Freeman from Driving Miss Daisy," and uh, or Mother, where they sold it as this uh, uh, psychological uh, Jennifer, thriller. Jennifer Lawrence, yeah, psychological thriller thing. Yeah, like and, uh, what Mother. and they're like, "That's what I like e. about it." That's what I'm saying. That right. see, that, that gave it an A for me, though. So right. I got one A for eight. No, I, I know I admired it, but I could have told you, idiots, idiots would grade it poorly on Cinema Score because there's no way to market that as as what it is. It has to be misrepresented mm-hmm. to get random people to see it on Friday night. I predict right. next week there's a school shooting, and then Trump goes, "All right, we need to have this thing called Cinema Score." <laughs> To sit, stop these shootings. He's going to okay. come up with the name and everything, huh, Kelly? How many people know that? Yeah. I give this shooting is, a C. What is this week's 3x3 again? Why did you pick it? And uh, actually, why don't I just go ahead and go? We know what it is. Yeah, you should go ahead and go because right. my my picks will let you know why I picked it, and I'm not allowed to go first. So, so here's my uh, issue this. Is, this. Uh, parades, marches, and group protests. So Which go ahead, Tom. Which to me are three very different things. Yeah, you're so right. I, yeah. Just, I just went with parades. Right. I, I stuck to All my right. guns. We went with parades. But I have a march though that would have made the list. I'll bring it up during my uh, during the runners up. But there's a great march that I would have loved to have included. Uh, actually, a couple of them. But instead, I just parades all through. So mine are all parades, and unfortunately. Uh, I, I just remembered some of them very different from what they were, and I'm going to mention this one first because I rewatched this movie, and I think this movie – and I didn't realize this, and I think a lot of people don't realize this. I think this movie is dumb. It falls <clears throat> apart. It doesn't, it, it doesn't create it, – it, character motivation completely makes no sense at the end of the movie. So I'm talking about uh, – actually, two of mine are from 1981. Uh, I'm talking about a Brian De Palma movie called Blowout. Uh, and Blowout is his <laughs> nod to a movie called Blow Up, where a guy gets obsessed with something that he sees in a photograph he's taken, a photographer. And, and Blow Out is a sound version of that. And it's clearly mm-hmm. inspired by Blow Up and by the conversation. Uh, it's Brian De Palma early doing some really cool stuff with his craft. He's super in love with this split focus, where on one side of the screen is a super close-up and the other side of the screen is a distant focus. Like there's, always a, there's always a blurry line in between it that he has to set up. Up, but it's super bold seeing that, and it looks really good. Uh, it's it's 
Vlomos Zygmunt. What's that guy's? Anyways, great cinematography. Uh, he, he's got this great thing with the color palette. Nancy Allen is freaking adorable. I forgot how cute she is in that. Uh, and yeah. John Travolta is even fun. Like, he, you know, he's just he's an everyman. Uh, and, and there's also I love the message that it had. That, well, I love the point that it makes about movies like itself because it opens with this long sequence from some crappy slasher movie of the slasher stalking a sorority house and peeking in different windows as topless women jumping around and then a woman naked is about to be murdered in a shower and she does this horrible little strangled wet half-assed scream and then we cut and we realize that this is John Travolta watching a cut of a movie that he's the sound Mm. designer on and he's got to come up with a scream to put over this terrible screen in the movie. Uh, so he and he's he's super dismissive too about his career, uh, doing these exploitation horror movies and doing the sound for him. Uh, but so then the movie unfolds. There's a conspiracy thing. Uh, it's clearly playing on Chappaquiddick. They even have a name for the river the car drives into, which is some contorted Indian word that sounds like Chappaquiddick. Um, and uh, Nancy Allen is. Uh, basically a witness to an assassination and john lithgow is this super cool cold calculating uh assassin and he's a lot of fun to watch but so the end of blowout (laughs) john lithgow absconds with nancy allen like he kidnaps her while john travolta has her wired so john travolta is hearing over the wire where she's being carried off to, and he's frantically trying to find her. And, you know, this is an old movie. I'm going to spoil it. He doesn't save her, and she gets killed. Uh, he doesn't get there in time. He, and he kills John Lithgow right after he strangled Nancy Allen, and she's dead, and he's failed. And the really cool wraparound is that he, kind of with no small amount of shame, uses her dying scream in his movie – and yeah, I yeah. love that that's yeah. the end of it. And he's sitting in the 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 proof, the you know, the room watching a cut of the movie. With and he her. hates it. He hates it, right? But it, you know, yeah, he hates it exactly. And it's got it's this great message about exploitation film and the exploitation of of women in peril. And you know, that's something that Brian De Palma is con- constantly dinged for, but he's super aware of it. Uh, I think. So well, my problem that she thought that was so mean of him, <laughs> of the character. Well, it is. I mean, it's it's super because he obviously is developing feelings for her. Loves you know, uh, they, I don't. He's into they don't, her. He's into her. They don't do a super romance thing. He's kind of irritated with her. But as she leaves to go meet John Lithgow, he gives her a quick kiss, and you realize, oh, okay. He's he, he kind of realizes, yeah, I, I like her. She's going um, on a limp for him. Yeah. So here's the thing, though. This whole idea where he's chasing them, there's no motivation for it because it's been set up that she's going to meet a TV reporter. And the TV reporter, John Lithgow thinks he's hearing – I mean John Travolta thinks he's hearing a TV reporter on the wire, and he gets super upset and frantic, and he's got to save her and rescue her. He has no idea what the stakes are. They don't know anything about this assassin. They've never seen him. They don't know what he's doing. The assassin has been creating a ruse of, of being a serial killer uh, in, in Philadelphia. They don't know that that's connected. There's no reason for John Travolta to freak out and try to rescue Nancy Allen. And I, I watched the movie again, and then I went back and to make sure Brian De Palma has no interest in creating this motivation. He just skips over it. Somehow, hmm. John Travolta magically knows that Nancy Allen has been kidnapped by an uber assassin, and it makes no sense. But so, so what I remembered uh, is there's a parade 
And they call it, I don't know, they couldn't get the rights to 4th of July, but they call it the Liberty Day Parade, and it's clearly the 4th of July. Um, you can't, the, you, you don't have to get the rights to the 4th of July. Anymore. I know, I know. You have to get no the rights sense. to Christmas. Yeah, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. There's not a real holiday called Liberty Day. Uh, but it's clearly 4th of July. There's American flags. It's a it's part of the whole color palette that De Palma plays with. But because John Travolta is magically super aware that she's been uh, absconded with, with a, by a ruthless killer, he's frantically chasing her. And at one point he gets in his Jeep and he's racing across Philadelphia because she has actually said, oh, the such and such train, is that where we're going? And uh, so John Travolta hears that and he knows to go meet them there and he's hauling ass across town and he drives into a parade, not around it, not by <laughs> it, straight up the middle of it. You know, the the, like the spectacles, the band, they, they, they <laughs> exactly. I mean, they, they, they part for him just right up. The middle. He even the banner that says Jubilee Day, he like smashes through it like a runner to finish line with his car and then crashes the car into a storefront. And knocks himself unconscious. <laughs> and now Nancy Allen has been caught by John Lithgow, and he he's still dragging her away. Because he's and, a shitty then, driver. That's why exactly. He's he sucks as a driver. And then we cut to uh, John Travolta waking up in an ambulance. Who knows how much later? And then again realizing, <laughs> oh god, I got to go save her. And he gets out of the ambulance and he keeps running. Like he has a car. He he drives into a parade and crashes his car, knocks himself unconscious long enough for an ambulance to come and pick him up. And that much later, he resumes the chase. It's ridiculous. Uh, I kind of like the ambulance because I'm picturing it going through the parade too, and everyone partying. <laughs> John Travolta they're like, oh, get him out of here! He fucking ruined the parade. And then John Travolta springs out of the ambulance like, oh no, he's back. And then he runs again. Well, the weird thing is, he uh, before he gets to the parade, he he busts through like a, a police cordon, and and he's driving around, and police horses are chasing him, and he has to lose them, and he knocks over a horse and everything. Like he's he, he evades the cops to drive into the parade, and then the parade they call an ambulance, and they don't even arrest him or anything. There's no cops standing around. And yeah. I think now of what it is when you know what we've seen this is unfair to apply to it but i can't help but watch that and think of the incidences we've had with trucks driving into crowds uh yeah. and it just feels super weird to watch in that movies scene. no one ever gets hit with it's the hero right right well that's yeah, your, yeah. your problem kelly is people jumping out of the way of cars right that is my problem. And there's so it's I mean it's clearly staged. Like Brian De Palma had stuntmen, you know, jumping out of the way at the last minute and some of it he's so proud of that he shows it in slow motion so that you see them jumping out to the side from like 45 different angles. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, like the Fury. But those two things I noticed go hand in hand. I just realized cuz I was thinking of Fast and the Furious and uh Superman is where <laughs> You have people jumping out of cars magically, like, oh, I hear a car coming. I better jump now right at it just as it's coming. And in addition to that, you have what Tom is talking about where the hero knows the, the other character is going to die this one time if they don't do this one thing. Like Vin Diesel, like, oh, wait, Michelle Rodriguez is going to die this time. I'm going to jump across the freeway. Or Lois Lane's like, Superman, don't take out green skin, man. By the way, Kelly Wand, uh, the guy who wrote uh, Fast and Furious, and I think he directed the first one, uh, <laughs> Rob, Cohen's, Rob Cohen's next movie is called uh, Hurricane Heist. And it's about <laughs> people who go on a heist in a Category 5 hurricane, no lie. Mm. Uh, so they're like the sharks in Sharknado. 
I can't wait to see it. Yeah, it opens here next week. If you they're, stu- they're stealing ready. a jewel called the Eye. Oh, very good, Dingus. I hope. Yeah, I hope Rob Cohen uh, enlists you to help him. That's a good one, Dingus. So the hurricanes on the side of law enforcement. <laughs> so John Lithgow. I forgot John Lithgow was in Blowout. Yeah, that was like yeah. his first thing. That he was like his... himself. Because he is he in? I mean, he's. Brian De Palma did Raising Cain, right? Yeah, 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 definitely. Brian De Palma, I think, basically discovered him as this assassin, and it's kind of funny watching him because he he's like super, like his face is just super placid, and he looks he's supposed to look ominous, and then when he pretends he's the TV the newsman to meet Nancy Allen, he just smiles and he's his normal, friendly John Lithgow self. So it's weird seeing him at first trying to look ominous, and then later he becomes, oh yeah, this is what John Lithgow is really like. But in 1981, when you saw it, you're like, wow, this guy's really scary. Whoa, look, he can even look friendly. Weird. Uh, And that doesn't really hold up. But he does do a super creepy thing where he's calling in because he's trying to create – he's going to cover the murder of Nancy Allen by murdering these women around town and pretending that he's a serial killer. So he'll kill a woman, and there's a scene where he calls the police to report the killing, and he's crying, saying, she made me do it. I had to do it. She was laughing at me. I had to kill her and leave her body. And he's trying to create this psycho killer, and Brian De Palma shoots it from the back, and the camera spins around to to John John Lithgow on the phone, and his face is completely neutral while he's playing this guy who's like crying and weeping, and I can't believe I had to do it. And he's just, there's no expression on his face while this this sound of this weeping man is coming out of his mouth. It's freaky. It's really weird. Uh, well, when did um, Terms of Endearment come out? Do you guys remember? 82. Thing is, that's a three. Yeah, I yeah. think it must have been, because I don't think it was 70s. It must have been, because uh, Blow was, Blowout was 81. Okay. Because he's, he's a super nice guy in Terms of Endearment. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's terrifying in garb. <laughs> Kelly Wan. <laughs> too soon, too soon. Kelly Wan, what's your third favorite parade in a movie? Mine? Okay, I try to do... Uh, oh, no, sorry. Honor- parade, uh, march, or, or group protest. Right. So I try to honor Dingus's choice of all three of those by trying to think of ones that could be interpreted as more than one of those things. Uh-oh. Hmm. Very nice. See? Uh- <laughs> we'll see if you say that dingus after he rolls out a few picks. Go ahead, Kelly Wand. <laughs> well, well I think anybody I who three. gets taken to jail will be taken by one of those horses that Tom was talking about from the blowout movie. <laughs> it's so weird watching them actually knock over an actual horse. Like that's that's a weird thing, uh, you know, because they used to trip horses and stuff. And that's before kind of CG. Yeah, yeah, they trip horses, don't they? I always get <laughs> weirded out when when horses get get knocked over in movies. Always it happens all them. the time too. And they're screaming in terror. And then you yeah. and then you picture the director going, Yeah, can we do one more? I didn't get the horse's right. terror. Oh, that right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, the horse that John Travolta knocks over, it actually falls over sideways. It's just like like thump right on the pavement. It's big old and horse. it would be on the pavement too. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. There's no they don't put a mat under the horses. Uh I I recently rewatched uh, the original not the original, I guess the seventies or the 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 uh Marla the the uh, Island of Dr. Moreau. There's like a couple of them. Uh, there's a later one with Marlon Brando, but there was an earlier one with, I think, Michael York. And yeah, I like that of, one a lot. 
It, well, that one has some cool stuff in it. The Brando one's yeah. just off the rails. No, but the not, Michael York one's awesome. The end of the Michael York one, where all the animals get let loose, they're super uncomfortable stuff. Watching them like throwing panthers off of the second, you know, through a balcony. With, yeah, like a stunt. Like the animals are supposed to be attacking people. So what they'll do is they'll have a stuntman grapple with a panther and then throw the stuntman with the panther. They, he throws himself with the panther off of a balcony, like through a railing onto a mat. But they're they're flinging these poor animals around and it's really uncomfortable to watch because again you know it's before cg and that's how they're gonna make it look like animals are fighting people is you know they'll grapple them and they're, th- they're just throwing these animals through windows and it's really uncomfortable uh, uh, i don't know i'm less worried about the panther than the horse i think the panther will be all right <laughs> <laughs> i think he knows how to land but the horse is fucked well that's how but you know that's what they they used to have to do if they wanted to show you know, animal right. violence, yeah. they, they basically had to, to throw some poor animal around. Yeah. yeah, and a friend of mine was like, I go, yeah, I don't know if we shoot horses in movies. And then he's like, oh, so you would now deny all the great westerns? And I'm all, well, there's not a lot I can do about it now. <laughs> well, that, that's the thing is I don't I, – I, I, <laughs> I could appreciate what that ending was going for in <laughs> Island of Dr. Moreau, and I could sort of enjoy it. But in the back of my head, I'm thinking, God, that poor panther. It does not There's look the like The gets fun. his head cut off at the end of Apocalypse <laughs> Now, and I always – it's like just full-on shot of it. That reminds me of a of the of I think an exchange in Lady Bird, I think, where they're talking about being vegans. It's in the egg scene. And she's like, "You guys are you, you guys are vegans. You're wearing leather jackets," and and the uh, the girlfriend's like, "They're vintage, it's, you know." Yeah, <laughs> it's too late for me to do anything. Like Kelly went right, right. <laughs> or she meant the eggs. <laughs> uh, my number three is the movie Black Hat. I think the movie Tom got spared. The, the I never did saw. see it, but I heard you guys do the podcast. Yeah, Black Hat. Black, Black Hat. Cat. No, Black Hat. With Thor, right? With Thor as a hacker, a Michael Mann movie. <laughs> it's oh, really yeah, good. I kind of remember. But uh, at the end, <laughs> there's a parade going on or or a protest march. I'm a little unclear, but everybody's <laughs> wearing red. And uh, Thor is fighting. I forget who the bad guy is in it. So let's just say Philip Seymour Hoffman. He's fighting him like through the parade and with knives and a shootout, and the parade yeah. just keeps going. Like no one cares of the parade that this guy <laughs> So I thought maybe they're protesting, you know, white people knife fights, disrupting <laughs> public events, and they're just not going to let it disturb their solidarity. They so might have been protesting guy. the MCU. Who knows? Maybe. It's weird because they never react, and it just seems so strange. Yeah, now I remember that. I can see sort of the I can see the people pouring down those steps or walking down those steps, and yeah, with and super like stabbing people and whatnot. Yeah. The show must go on. That's what they train paraders. That's how they but train when, them. But did those actors go? Wait, you don't want us to wait? So we're playing people who are inured to Thor <laughs> as a culture, and Michael Mann going, yeah. There's going to be this fucking awesome uh, Phil Collins song playing. Go. (laughs) So, yeah, that's my number three. All right, Black Hat Dingus, what's your third favorite parade, group march, or protest? No, march or group protest. What's the – when you said Black Hat, I thought about that Johnny Depp movie. What's that? Black Black Mask. Black Mask. All right. Hey, Polly. All right. So, yeah, at first I thought, why why is he bringing up that Johnny Depp movie? (laughs) 
<laughs> now I know why you brought up Black Mask. You should always ask if I bring up Black Mask, because I'm probably out of my head on that. All right, so uh, my number three is one of the two movies, and one of uh, – this movie and my number one movie are the reasons why I used all three of these things uh, as a category. Uh, this one fits in parades. The number one movie I've chosen has a parade that is also a march. Um, and it, it was important to me to uh, to put those two things together because these two movies, I really, really love these two movies. Um, but for different reasons. So uh, this this third movie is a movie. You. I know. You know you hate me. Sorry. Why do you uh, hate him? What happened? No, just, it just seemed like a dumb time to say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's always an appropriate time to hate Dingus. Um, so this is you know, a movie that you. neither of the two of you have seen. Uh, so I'm not going to talk at length about it because I'd really like you to see it. But I also think that one of our listeners um, probably will donate to have you guys see it and have me see it again. And the reason I saw it is because last year when we did our fundraising thing, um, I asked for a bunch of advice about uh, what uh, anime I might watch uh, to prepare for <laughs> for the the show because I didn't because I didn't know anime and uh, and this particular listener had also I think donated for this movie uh, last year or maybe even in maybe even before that and it's a movie called Paprika and um, it's this really l- Really amazing movie, uh, directed by Satoshi Kon. Uh, the, the quote I would give from it is: "Dreams and reality are merging together." Or, uh, sorry, dreams and reality are merging all together. It's important that you get that. Uh, I've got a, uh, we've got a, a good friend. Uh, his name's Yuri Lowenthal, who uh, does the, um, who does the dubbing for one of the major characters in it. And he's really good in it. Uh, and it's you know usually I want to watch the uh, subtitled version of a movie, but if, if I, but sometimes I'll watch both. And uh, I really like I really loved uh, watching this and going wait a minute I didn't even know it was him until I started watching the movie and going oh gosh I know that voice geez that's the guy I went to college with. Um, so there's this really bizarre parade that goes on uh, in the middle of this movie. Um, okay. So the movie is about this, uh, this, this treatment, the psychotherapy treatment that they do. That's this, like this dream therapy thing. And, uh, it's, it, I, I, I honestly don't want to talk too much about it because I'd really like you guys to see it. Um, especially if it turns out that it ends up being picked, but uh, there's this, there's this bizarre parade of objects, of things, of vending machines, of robots, and uh, other things that happens. And it's probably my favorite just straight-out parade in a movie because it's just so freaking surreal that when you're watching it, you're like, this is this – is, to me, uh, in 
you know, looking past the ideas of uh, anime as having like all of these violent characteristics or sexual characteristics, this just the the surreal nature of this parade for me uh, captures so much of what makes anime uh, its own thing. Um, and there's a lot about paprika that makes that, that, that how do I say this? Um, that is not something you would necessarily see done in a live action movie that, that transcends, that transcends imagination in a way or captures imagination perhaps in the way that a live action movie tries to do, but this actually does. And, it's it's not a mistake that that this that this movie is talking about dream therapy because there is that feeling of of how a dream works in the way that um live action movies don't work uh you know there's there's that Chris, that Christopher Nolan movie that I like that you don't, guys don't like I can't remember what it's called Interstellar Dark Knight Rises, <laughs> um, that tries to capture a lot of that dream, I, that dream feel. Uh, but I think that this movie gets that weird sort of smeary kind of th- these things shouldn't relate, these things shouldn't connect, um, the, these things should not be uh, that works. And that parade in Paprika totally, totally gets it for me. So anime is weird sometimes. Hmm. Either that's what I say. And anime is guessed. weird now of days. <laughs> uh, okay, paprika. Parade of ending. I remember you brought this up before because I, I, the only paprika I know is this awesome Danish actress named Paprika Steen. Hmm. So. What? Paprika Steen is in a movie called I think it's called The Teacher, The Substitute, or something, where she's a super hot teacher who is an alien. A scaly tentacled alien, but she's it disguised as a super hot teacher. I think it's called The Substitute. The Danish horror movie. You should check it out, Kelly Wand. It's for you. Sounds awesome. Yeah, Paprika Steen. Google her. Yeah. It's cool. Uh, all right. watch it since you're writing a script about horror movies. My number two <laughs> favorite parade, and I'm just gonna go over this quickly. I know you guys are gonna roll your eyes. Uh, I couldn't help every time I watch this movie, I find something new and I found something new. Uh, Steven Spielberg knows his blocking so in jaws when brody is uh has realized there's been a shark attack he leaves the office where he's just typed up the report (laughs) and he's heading over to the art store the store the supply store to get paintbrushes and boards to make signs to close the beach with and as he's walking down the street there are signs everywhere saying you know amity island fourth of july celebration liberty day yeah, yeah. Unlike unlike Blowout, they licensed the Fourth of July for Jaws, so they could use that. Um, so Brody's walking down the street, and you you see all this festive stuff being hung up, and there's all this activity that he's completely ignoring. You know, as he walks out, uh, his assistant Polly is telling him about we got a call about these kids karate chopping the picket fences, uh-huh. and he's like, okay, whatever, whatever. And he leaves. An old man with a, from a bicycle shop tries to explain something to him. He wants no part of it. He's got he's he's you know he's he's got to get this done. It's super important to him. Um, so he goes to the store and he loads up on all this stuff to make the signs and he's 
heading back with the stuff to the police office when Hendrix, his deputy, drives up and says, uh, Brody, there's a bunch of kids out on the sound swimming uh, to get their merit badges. I don't have a way to call them to bring them in. I mean, we, we know there's a shark attack. And Brody's like, okay, here, take this sign stuff. Uh, and he gives it to Hendrix. He's like, take it back. Have Polly make the signs. There's even a little <laughs> joke. He says, have Polly do the printing. And Hendrix says, what's wrong with my printing? And, and Roy Scheider, his delivery is perfect because he says it in the same intonation he said it the first time. Have Polly do the printing. Like he just says it a second time <laughs> to Hendrix. I love that. But while Brody's been walking down the street, Spielberg shows scenes of people, including starting with the mayor, Marie Vaughn, walking out of buildings behind Brody to join him because they're trying to catch up with him and they're coming together right. as a separate group but when he gets in Hendrix's car and drives off you know the mayor calls to him chief Brody but he's already gotten away so this little uh parade of city officials has formed uh, behind Brody, who's driven away and now Hendrix and the mayor are standing there and Hendrix is saying to the mayor I can't believe it. We had a shark attack this morning. We have to close all the beaches. And while he's explaining that to the mayor, an actual parade, <laughs> they're practicing the parade of little children playing instruments, comes around the corner and swarms around them. And it's an actual – it's like they're going to be the parade, but they're practicing. But it's all little children with instruments surrounding Hendrix and Vaughn while Hendrix is explaining to the mayor, we had a shark attack, uh, which is just super adorable that all of this activity is built up. And now these little kids come running around in a parade. Um, so the new thing that I noticed, uh, the next shot is Brody getting on a ferry boat. He's standing on the ferry boat, and he's telling the ferry guy, take me out there to those Boy Scouts because he needs to get them in because they can't be out there swimming because there's a shark. And all in one shot, Spielberg sets up a camera at the, the bow of the ferry boat, and uh. we see in the background a car pulling up onto the ferry boat. Brody's not paying any attention. He's looking out where the kids are. The car pulls on the ferry boat, and the ferryman closes the little gate behind it, He gets in his little station, and all of this is one shot. It's beautifully framed. And out of the car – this ensemble that had emerged into the street, Mayor Vaughn, the newspaper guy, the coroner, some other random dude who it's not explained, and then Hendrix, who was basically uh, brought along in the back seat, the deputy. And they all emerge from the car, and they create like a circle around Brody. Uh, and basically, they besiege him, and this is when the mayor is saying, uh, you can't close the beaches. You know, this is uh, – the Amity relies on tourism. Uh, you you can't do that. Uh, and Brody is saying, no, I, you know, it was a shark attack. And he even says to the coroner who's there, you told me it was a shark attack. And the coroner's like, uh, I was mistaken. He's obviously been bullied by the mayor. The thing that I'd never noticed before, the mayor says to Brody, uh, it's, your first se it's your first summer, you know. And Brody's like, what do you mean by that? I didn't realize Brody has been there less than a year. Like he's yeah. that new. Uh, and, and now he's being – like he's got all these town officials surrounding him and basically telling him, you can't close the beach. You can't do this. And visually, it looks great. And what happens is the mayor slowly pulls Brody away from the group and to, to sort of take him aside and be more intimate with him. And because of the way it's staged, he's pulling Brody into the foreground, and they fill the frame, and the other guys kind of fall away behind them. So as the mayor is pulling Brody away and getting closer to him and sort of intimating to him more insistently, you can't close the beaches, they fill the frame more and more. Uh, and that's where the line 
that Murray Hamilton has about, uh, you know, you say Barracuda, everybody's like, huh, what? But you say shark, <laughs> you got a panic on your hands on the 4th of July. And at that point, that's where uh, Murray Hamilton has pulled Roy Scheider right into the foreground and they fill up the frame. Uh, I love that. And that's another example of just great blocking that Spielberg does. And it's all in one shot. The ferry boat has, has turned itself around and it's going to back into the other side of the sound where it's dropping off the car. And the shot ends as the ferry boat is coming in with the mayor saying to the ferryman, okay, you can take us back now. <laughs> like you didn't yeah. even need to get across there. You just needed to, to browbeat uh, Sheriff Brody. In the, in the book, Jaws attacks the ferry and then it makes Brody's case better. Did you know that? Are you lying? Maybe. Yeah, I'm stretching the truth a little. Yeah, because the book has all these other weird things about the. You know, we don't need yeah, All right, so that's it. So I forgot that he was only there for that short amount of time because their house. When I imagine their house, it feels more lived in than a year. You know, but they're making also, no jokes about New York and. Cop, yeah, and he knows yeah. people like he knows people, which which would make sense because he's the sheriff. But clearly, the movie sells that he's an outsider. He's uncomfortable right. on an island. He's from New York. Yeah. But yeah. I'd for, I'd, I I don't think that I ever realized that he had only been there a matter of months. He hadn't been there the last summer. Uh, but there are places you can live for many many years, like Maine, where you could live there for fifty years, and if you weren't born there, you're from well, that's out what they, there. That's, yeah, that's what uh, Elaine. That's what his, Ellen, his wife, tells him. Is you know it doesn't matter. Or no, someone tells him it doesn't matter how long you've lived here. If you weren't born here, you're not an islander. Yeah, yeah you're you're from family. out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just All right, Kelly Wan, so that, that little parade in Jaws of the little the children playing instruments swarming and the around the mayor and the yeah, the ferry boat was just I, I love the ferry was the float. Very the good, Kelly Wan. <laughs> literally. Yeah. But the first time I saw that when there's a line about oh the kids are karate chopping shit. And right? then the kids show up in the parade, I'm like, Oh fuck, they're gonna get karate chopped. Like I didn't know what <laughs> it was called Jaws. Because that's Polly. She's like, they're karate, and she even does a little gesture. She's an old lady. She does yeah. a gesture of the karate chopping, what she imagines it's like. Right. <laughs> I like the implication that Hendrix is illiterate and his handwriting sucks, and that's right. why. Yeah. That's a good character touch. Well, there's, there's a great moment, too, later where Hendrix is – where Brody's on the phone inside of a shack during the, the crazy Fourth of July, and Hendrix is out there just looking out over the chaos, and Brody's trying to get his attention – and he's on the phone. Brody's talking to someone on the phone, and he picks up something that's like change or something, and he throws it at the window that Hendrix is standing in front of. And Hendrix turns around and smiles and waves, just thinking that Brody wanted to say hello. Like yeah. Hendrix is like the the, the dope. Uh, yeah. So Spielberg had to like they had to write that scene to be exactly the same length as the ferry trip, so that Vaughn could do that last line. At the exact no, exactly. I mean, and that's that's the beauty of of his. Blocking, he's blocking, and the and and it's like that scene I've talked about before in front of the vandalized billboard. The right. the way that uh, and mm -hmm. it's, again, it's yeah. Murray Hamilton, uh, Richard Dreyfuss, and and Roy Scheider. The way they move around each other and they take turns trying to convince uh, the mayor, and the way the mayor sort of alternates his attention between them, and they surround him and they pull away. And Spielberg uses all of this to walk the camera over where we can see the billboard. Um, yeah, it's, it just is, it's, you know, it's brilliant stuff like that. They don't but make the post like is that. cool too, I guess. If you're, you know, block. <laughs> that blocking at the end where uh, Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep walking away. Yeah, yeah, where they call the Supreme Court or something. <laughs> that's that's all so good. Kelly good Wand, what uh, what would Meryl Streep have to say about Jaws? Ooh, <laughs> 
you remember in Edge of Seventeen, you guys, where Haley Steinfeld's character says that she likes spoilers? Yeah. I blocked that out of my head. I don't believe that. Nobody likes She says, I love spoilers. And then her friend says, no. She goes, yeah, that means you don't have to sit through the thing. And then (laughs) uh, her friend says, da-da-da-da. Haley Steinfeld goes, oh, they get married at the end. Thank you. And then she notices the dude, and she's like, boy, Juvie made him hot. I don't think that's funny, Dingus. I don't think that's funny at all. (laughs) Kelly Wan, what is your second favorite parade, march, or group protest? She probably read for that part. They were in the same waters. I think part of what made me think of that is the way she says – like about the guy who Juvie made him hot that, uh, you know, since he works at the pet store now, she's like, I, I want to go over there and have, and tell him, I want him to put his penis in me. And then a guy's walking past her and she goes, not you, but it's just, it's the same, it's the same tone of voice. She's like, not you. <laughs> anyway, go ahead, Kelly. Sorry. Uh, my number two favorite parade march slash group slash protest is from the motion picture Life of Brian, where the parade follows him home and waits outside and his mom comes out. And then he knows, he learns that they followed home because he comes out naked and stretches nude full frontal in front of a huge crowd. And they're like, yeah, tell us more things. Wait, why are you going, oh, God, Tom? That's an awesome scene. How dare you? Just hearing people describe Monty Python, I just just never need that. No one ever needs that. They never do this scene, though. It's always Holy Grail. That's the one that's been done. Uh, And first of all, that's not a – that's not a – it's just people following him. It's just a guy's followers while he's going home. They're protesting the Romans. And they're for his thing. Well, if you're trying to make it a protest, no, that doesn't work. It's I mean, I can see a very tenuous case made for it being a march. But yeah. It's definitely a parade. And it's, it's not a, a parade because there's a, who's watching the parade, Kelly Wand? A parade is something that people spectate. <laughs> who's watching this parade? Well, it's a parade that people join as they watch it. That's not a parade. That's not a that's not what a parade is. That's a march. A parade is not you don't when you go to watch a parade, you don't join it. Yeah, you can. No, I you can't. Kelly Wand. <laughs> I did uh, shake it up when, in, on a float one time during a gay pride parade. <laughs> I stitched the class. With my friend, you Cam. just jumped out from the audience. I guess you know. Okay, yeah, maybe. they let me join the parade. I would say a gay dance. pride parade, though, is equal parts parade and march. It was Liberty Gay Pride Day Parade Day, and it had elements wow. of a march. Fair enough. Yeah, but Life of Brian, Dingus, arrest him. Life of Brian, and then he's like, "I got one or two things to say," and they're like, "Tell us, tell us both," and he's like. You don't need to follow anybody. You're all individuals. And they're like, yes, we're all individuals. <laughs> and then he's like, you're all different. And they're all, yeah, we're all different. And then one guy's like, I'm not. And they're all, shh. Like they knew he was going to say it. <laughs> so they're protesting that guy. Don't you see? No. <sighs> Every, yeah. I mean, next you'll be telling me it's not a parade, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Because they were just standing watching. That's it's just not a parade. parade. It's not any of those things. But they had to the march to get there, and it was in March. No, it wasn't. The Sermon on the Mount was in March? How did you date so. this, Kelly Wand? It says in the middle of the page. I carbon dated <laughs> it. 
Dingus, what is your second favorite? Second favorite parade, march, or group protest? All right, this is a group protest, and here's a quote from it. I think Tom will know this. Uh, We only smoke the Lamentations, a right miserable cigarette. Dang. Oh, brother, where art thou? It is from a movie called Hunger, and this is the – this is the – do you remember what movie I'm talking about? You guys? Me, of course. Yeah, yeah. Steve McQueen. Right. Kelly, have you seen? Kelly hasn't seen that. He, uh, Kelly couldn't sit still for that movie. I'm not sitting still for this, so I don't know why I would sit still for that. <laughs> That's a good point, actually. All right, so this is the the no wash protest. Um, that the uh, Steve McQueen. Yeah, it's Steve McQueen movie. That's what I just said. Um, uh, yeah, and so it's uh, when David Gillen. Uh, does the um, uh, the no wash protest? Well, he he goes into his cell and and his uh, cellmate. I've I've used this perf- before. I think for Kelly's. I think Kelly had a like a, a poop oriented um, three by three. At least one. <laughs> at least at least one. Uh, but this particular group protest um, is really meaningful to me because I, I just love this movie so much. Uh, and it's um, this it's the no wash protest where these prisoners are dragged out of their cells. They're, they have long hair. They're forcibly washed. And um, they go through this sequence of smearing their feces all over the walls and protesting in this particular way. Uh, it's the only way they can protest uh, their uh, uh, the, the oppression they're, they're, that they're going under uh, through uh, uh, British rule, basically. And um, I only thought of this after actually uh, talking about colonization so much last week when we were talking about Black Panther. Um, I didn't really think of it until late in the game. So it's uh, – again, one of the things I love about the 3x3 three three that we do is that hopefully – my hope is that it brings new movies to newer listeners and other listeners who haven't seen the movies before. And if you can see the movie Hunger from 2008, it was directed by Steve McQueen, the guy who did uh, 12 Years a Slave, um, and is – I think the first thing I saw Michael Fassbender in. Um, oh, I you know. didn't see you didn't see Eden Lake. No, I don't think I did. It's a goofy horror movie with Kelly Riley. She's actually the lead in it, and the the dude who just plays her boyfriend, who's in a couple of scenes and gets killed, is Michael Fassbender, which is really weird seeing that. Well, he's also in Three Hundred. I can't remember what year Three Hundred was. Oh, off the top of my head, he is. Yeah, I do remember. Yeah, yeah. What? Yeah. Uh, I, I think Lake Eden or Eden Lake, I, I think, might have predated that. But, yeah, you're right. I forgot about that. 300, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He plays a small part huh. that. He's yeah, he's just really... one of the hot shirtless dudes. I mean, that's yeah. everyone in the movie, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in Hunger, he's just so amazing. And the, and the structure of the movie is one of my favorite m- movie structures. It's right up there with um, Five Seconds of Heaven. I think that's what it's called. Five Seconds of Heaven? I think it's Seven. Seven, seven okay. or five. I forget. I can't it's remember. Racket stripper movie. I just, I just love movies. <laughs> Some movies can get away with, um, with structuring the movie like a play. Uh, some directors can get away with doing that. Uh, just it, 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 part of it, it has to do with the fact that they understand how to cast it. 
they understand how to direct the, their particular actors, and they have actors who can handle that kind of thing. And the middle section of uh, Hunger um, just knocks just knocks me out, just knocks my socks off. Uh, so I would encourage you to see Hunger, but the the group protest I'm talking about is the no wash protest. All right, it's time now to get to our favorites. These are the best of all time parades. A lot of intensity. Protest. Yeah. A lot of intensity. In the, room. the stuff we mentioned before, those are just runners up. These, this is Life the real of Brian. What? Get out yeah. of here. Jaws. <laughs> Metal. Yeah. Fuck you, Jaws. You uh, like I, I saw a movie called, uh, just when I, because I watch so many crappy horror movies, there's a, a found footage, wouldn't you know, horror movie called Living Among Us. Uh, oh. And it, the, the premise is that that vampires have basically come out and said, yeah, you know what? We're I vampires. Uh, we don't need to kill people. We can just, you know, people who give blood, we can uh, just just drink voluntarily given blood. Nobody has to die. And so a camera crew goes to visit a household of vampires that lives together to just sort of do a, a documentary about what life is like among vampires. And they uncover something insidious and it becomes a found footage, stupid horror movie. But one of the things that really bums me out is the leader of this house of vampires. And this movie, by the way, no redeeming value. It is dumb. It is as stupid as it, – it's just trash horror. The guy who made it just has no sense of filmmaking. The found footage conceit is just a cheap way to do it. All the actors are terrible, even this guy I'm going to talk about here. Uh, but what's really depressing is seeing as the head of the vampire clan – living in this house, a kind of a bloated, confused, he's not sure why he's there, but he's really trying, and he just looks kind of sad in this role, John Hurd. Um, oh. Now, what do you guys know John Hurd from? Like, what, if you think back to John Hurd, like, what, what does he, what's, what's his notable thing for you guys? Does he mean, does he have much, much meaning or resonance, right? That's John Hurd. For, for uh, me, it's big. I mean. Who is he in Big. He's he's, he's Elizabeth. Oh, Kirkland's the boyfriend. boyfriend, right, right. Who who is like, I don't get it, I don't get it, and he comes up with this What's idea for transformers that turn into a building, and Tom Hanks's character is like a robot that turns into a building. What I don't get it, and then when Tom Hanks comes up with an idea, he's like, I don't get it, I don't get it. Right. So he's but yeah, he was he's he was also the... Ainsley Hayes, not Ainsley Hayes, whatever Salvador. her name is. She, he was in CSI Miami as. The drunken father of um, Ainsley Hayes after she left the the West Wing, but mainly what I remember him from is Big. So, because he he tends to play like the the buttoned up guy who's kind of uptight, uh, right? Like, is he in I, terms I know, of endearment also? Or what is he? I don't know terms of endearment well enough, like you guys. I don't either. Well, like, here's <laughs> and even even hearing that he's doing oh, okay. that in Big kind of bums me out because. What I know John Heard from, and this is my favorite parade, uh, this is a pretty obscure movie that I, I really think deserves more uh, recognition because John Heard's performance in this and, – and I'm not at, at all surprised to know that this is a part that Dustin Hoffman was originally going to play, and at some point he fell out of it, and John Heard got the part. John Heard in this movie is – so magnetic and dynamic. This is another movie from 1981. Uh, 
I, you can't take your eyes off of him. And he, it's the kind of performance that could easily be scenery chewing because he's always talking and he's super brash. Uh, he just sort of barrels through the scenes over the other characters. He's kind of this force of nature. And he plays a guy who is missing an arm and is wearing an eye patch and has a lame leg and uses a cane to get around. But his hair is all long and scraggly. He's got a beard. He's this uh, Vietnam veteran, a guy named Alex Cutter. Uh, in a kind of a noir mystery directed mm. by uh, a, a Czech director who didn't do many movies. He, he worked with Milos Forman, uh, and he, he did this movie in 1981 called Cutter's Way uh, with John Hurd eventually got the role of Cutter. Uh, and Ugh. Cutter – it's from a novel that was called Cutter and Bone, and Bone is his friend – in this movie, played by uh, uh, Jeff Bridges, a very young, incredibly pretty Jeff Bridges. <laughs> it's really <laughs> odd seeing him. Uh, and, and he's very much playing the kind of uh, – what's the thing he did with Rachel Ward? Not, no way Against out. Against all odds. Yeah, against all odds, right. Very much that kind of thing, like the super <laughs> handsome, dashing uh, lead character. But Cutter's Way is a really unconventional movie. Uh, it opens with Bone seeing a murder. Uh, one night, and he ends up getting implicated in the murder. Uh, he sees the person who committed the murder but can't identify him. Uh, and as this movie unfolds, Cutter, who is this just very bitter, very talkative, uh, drunk, outspoken friend of his, Cutter seizes on this idea that the murder is part of a big conspiracy. And part of the movie's ambiguity is, is there really a big conspiracy? Or is this something that Cutter, out of all of his cynicism and anger, has created, has generated? Um, <clears throat> so John Hurd is incredible in this movie, and it just saddens me to, see, to rewatch Cutter's Way and then fast forward you know, to 2018, and he's got a crappy part in a found footage horror movie that just does nothing to take advantage of what he could do way back when. Uh, you know, if I were to see this guy in 1981 doing this part, I would assume this is going to be one of this generation's greatest actors. He's amazing, this Cutter. But the parade in this is kind of where we are introduced to Cutter and who he is, because the movie opens with Bone seeing the murder. Uh, and after he uh, gets questioned by the police and released, uh, Cutter's like, uh, you know what? Uh, let me raise your spirit. Let's go out and do something fun. So they go to the – and I wrote the name of it down. What is it? It's the uh, – shoot, I can't find – oh, Old Spanish Days Fiesta. <laughs> That's the celebration. Uh, oh, from Blowout. Well, the movie is the movie's set in Santa Barbara, by the way. So throughout this parade, uh, right. they're they're selling all this as uh, the, the the heritage of Santa Barbara and the mission, the original missionaries and the Spanish settlers and the the local natives, and uh, it's this really cheesy parade. Everybody um, we killed the parade. Well, Kelly Wand, you're basically the voice of Cutter because he's sitting off to one side with Bone. He's drinking, he's getting drunk, and he's berating the things that the parade is presenting with that <laughs> right. same thing about, yeah, we killed him with disease 200 years ago, and now you can get one of them to clean your house for $10. Right. Like, and he's, he's doing this in full voice, and there's people around him. And at one point, I don't know if this is staged, a little kid comes up beside him to look at the parade, and, and John Hurd's, hey, kid. And the kid is just like, what? And he, he runs off. Like, I don't know if that was something that an extra walked up. But it's supernatural. Like it's 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 not supernatural. It's super. super. It's extraordinarily yeah, it's natural. 
the the way that uh, that it's almost paranormal. John Hurd reacts to this little kid walking up, and and so much of his performance is like that. He's just rolling with the punches, and you don't know how much of it is improvised, but so much of it is well written. But him describing and narrating and berating this cheesy Santa Barbara celebration of its history parade is where we really see Cutter un- cut loose. Uh, and, and unleash who he is uh, uh, and how brash and offensive he can be. Uh, and the remarkable thing about the movie, another performance in the movie, a, a woman who I haven't really seen her since then, her name is Lisa Eichhorn, and she plays Cutter's uh, long-suffering wife because uh, the movie mm. is kind of a uh, – it's like a quadrilateral between Cutter and Bone, Cutter's wife, and then the sister of the murdered girl – who joins them to help expose whether or not there's a conspiracy here. Icorn or Eilbacher? Icorn. Icorn. Yeah, and she's tremendous. And again, it's another performance where if I were to watch this, I would think, wow, this this woman is going to be one of her generation's greatest actresses. And uh, I don't know what became of her. I hope he cuts her, you're thinking. Mm, No. Not that, Kelly. Did you read the book? No, no, I don't know anything about the book. Okay. Cutter's Way, though, is very much uh, 70s cinema. It's 1981, but it's very much a throwback to 70s cinema, but with this really uh, slick 80s sheen, the way that Santa Barbara is super sunny and the way that the, mm-hmm. it's brightly lit and everything. It looks like an 80s movie, but what happens in the characters and the dialogue and their interaction is very, very 70s. Um, they should do a crossover movie with Carlito and then see – which um which who gets prevails. his way yeah, yeah. yeah. whose who, way prevails who has right of way yeah and then simultaneous and then we can do no way out not, none of them get their way uh, i think <laughs> ivan pastor wanted to you like he, he wanted the movie to be called cutter and bone but the studio by the way cutter's way like was Valeria. a casualty of united arts united arts mm. uh changed uh, uh, ownership while it was you know after it had been in production and the new owners just didn't believe in the movie at all and they basically killed it they let it die it got a very limited theatrical release which is part of why it's super obscure uh, and it, yeah mm. nothing ever came of it um, but it's kind what of a, it, a cult classic what does it have to do with living among us again John Hurd it's just super sad to see John Hurd so promising in and 1981 in Cutter Cutter's way and then he has a career playing characters who are not that dynamic who are completely buttoned up and the sort of the weaselly bad guy or the the not bad guy necessarily but the guy who doesn't understand you know he's the dad in home alone um yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. and then fast forward now to where he's you know the poor guy he's, he's older he's he's bloated and he he's just taking these crappy <laughs> parts in these found footage movies well, what else, well, you know that's all there is i mean every that's what i thought he had gonna, died i'm surprised he's still alive oh i hope not i mean maybe he, did he die oh i thought he did but uh i didn't okay so he's in that crappy vampire movie yeah and right, the, the crappy vampire movie just made me think man cutter's way was really good i'm gonna rewatch that and so i, I watched I it a while ago john savage so does uh, oh that's the deliverance guy john voight is coming home john savage's deliverance john hurd is cutter's way right they're both kind of blonde yeah yeah, yeah. i might be so dumb on salvador though. in living among us is it the kind of vampire movie where we understand that vampires have to be only at night or they can wear sunglasses and they're fine um, they do it. The only special effect in the movie is that they, they, no, they, they're vulnerable to sunlight, but they make okay. fun of this idea that, you know, garlic and crosses they don't care about. But, uh, yeah, uh, sunlight still hurts them. They can't come out in the day. All right. So, 
I'm thinking you should check it out. Living Among Us. It's now. I don't think I will. <laughs> By the way, I I, I feel bad. I, I, as you were talking, I remembered that Ainsley Hayes is the character name. The the actress is Emily Proctor, and I and I always want to mention that uh, she's she was the one in CSI Miami, and and I I'm pretty sure John Hurd played her father in that. Right. Well, I, I mean, I know he's gotten, you know, looking at his credits, he's, he's one of those actors who's got like 200 credits. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah. All right. I mean, you shouldn't feel bad for him. I mean, he's super successful, and he's probably living a very easy life and very comfortable. But I just I, – I, it's bummed that – I'm bummed that I see the kind of performance he did in Cutter's Way, and he doesn't get the kind of recognition that that someone – who did that performance should get. He didn't have the kind yeah. of career that someone who played Alex Cutter should have gotten. I mean, it's an amazing performance because you can't believe that that's John Hurd in there. That's this sort of button, the guy who plays the buttoned up fathers all the time. Um, yeah. Well, isn't, wasn't the, um, wasn't the, do you remember the, the television show tales of the gold monkey or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> wasn't that yes. pilot named Jake Stephen Cutter? Collins? Oh, probably. Oh, I don't doubt it. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's definitely a uh, an action movie hero is Cutter. Yeah. yeah, I can't remember if that's true. Did you say his name was Steve Collins? Stephen Collins is the actor. Damn, how do you remember that? Because he was in other stuff, and I go, oh, yeah, it's the Gold Monkey guy. He's in this. All right. uh, like, I knew him from Gold Monkey. <laughs> right, I, I loved that because it was, it was such a weird, like, Rears of the Lost Ark, High Road to China kind of ripoff. And um, and I liked being able to watch it. And there was know, the British TV. girl who was always screaming. Yeah, yeah. Oh my and god, he did die last year. John Hurt did die. So no, this did? stupid living oh. among us is the last thing he did. That is even more depressing. I was I was almost certain that he had died. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he died in uh, July last year. Think oh, he's dead. He's like our sixth sense. Sorry. I never know who's dead. When I hear that someone's yeah, dead, yeah. I'm, uh, yeah, yeah, I never know who's dead. You I still think Marlon's alive. Yeah, like I'm going to be super bummed when Peter O'Toole dies, like when, when people like that, when we lose them, because uh, it's going to be sad. There was also yeah. a fat sidekick named Corky, if I remember right, on Tales of the Gold Monkey. Tales of the Gold Monkey, yeah. Yeah. He was always getting into trouble. And Kelly Wand, on Tales of the Gold Monkey, were there any parades, <laughs> marches, or group demonstrations? I fail to see the connection, Tom. You have to be more explicit. <laughs> well, in that case, what's, what's – This is the internet. If you were to pick your favorite parade, march, or group protest, I'm guessing it wouldn't be from Tales of the Gold Monkey. No, because it's not a movie, Tom. But otherwise, hmm. it would definitely be in my top three. Well, then let's talk movies. What would it be? Let's talk movies. Uh, this is the one where I really did do what I said I did best, where I made it more than one of the things Dingus was gibbering like an animal about. <laughs> Parades, marches, group protests. That really narrows it down. Right. It starts out as a parade, and then it turns into a protest. I'm referring, I'll do a line from it. <clears throat> Thank you, God. Uh-huh. I added the huh for uh, no. Jesus. Oh, God. Oh. No, but that's a good guess. Thank you. It's weird. There's no parades in that movie, even though God's around. But number one is Animal House, where there's a parade at the end. All right. And the characters, because they got expelled, they go, well, let's just ruin the parade then. <laughs> they just, and that's the, like, instead of redemption or them getting back into college, they just go, fuck it, we're screwed anyway. Let's just ruin a parade for the town. 
Right, I remember that. Yeah, that's like the finale, isn't it? Yeah, they just sabotage this parade and drive around and make a mess and break shit. Seriously. <laughs> and trample. Oh, man, that's a good one. Kelly Wand and me going back to super old movies. There's a wow. tank. It's one of my favorite movie endings. And then the movie ends right after that. Like, there's no closure of any kind. It's just like, the parade was ruined. Dun, dun, dun. Animal House. <laughs> <laughs> Mission accomplished. Like even in Caddyshack, there's like a life lesson, but in Animal House, the lesson is like, <laughs> Arte, you're stupid for caring. You're stupid for caring. So yeah, Animal House, that's my favorite. All right, very good. Dingus, what do you think is the best parade, march, or group protest? All right, this is um, basically all three put together, and this is. Uh, uh, along with Paprika, the movie that most inspired this topic, and this is – and I talked about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, this is from a movie called Blue is the Warmest Color. Um, what, Kelly? No, I'm just excited to hear about it again. So there's two marches in it, and both marches are basically um, – well, the, fir- the first march is uh, so much uh, – it's it's basically one of these um, anti uh, what's the word I'm looking for uh, austerity measure kind of marches in France. So it's a it's a bunch of students all marching together, Liberty. protesting uh, this the idea of austerity measures, and um, so there's a bunch of high school students who are a part of this march as well. I mean, the main character is a part of this march, and they're they're yelling things like "no private, no to privatization, more money to students, <laughs> more money to education," those types of things. Um, the the kind of things that you see in in places like France or or Greece or whatever, where they're talking about austerity measures, and the students are taking to the streets, and um, and the kind of thing that we're seeing here with students because of the recent shooting that we had, that students are starting to take to the streets or starting to march and protest um, high school students in particular, are starting to march and protest about the Second Amendment. So th- this first march in blue is the warmest color is is that is that kind of thing. It's, it's just something that happens, and it feels a little incidental, but it feels also like these are, these are, uh, these are kids who don't really understand economics, but they are very much aware of what they want for their education, for their rights, and for their families. The second march is uh, it, that happens in the movie is after the main character under, starts to understand um, her identity, that she's gay. And so it's a gay pride parade march. Uh, not so much a protest, but a gay pride march. Um, and what's fascinating to me and i really hope you guys watch this movie at some point uh is is the way that this main character um reacts in both different reacts differently in the different situations uh how self-aware she is in the second one um how she grows to be more comfortable through the process of being in this gay pride parade basically which which is also a march um 
not so much a protest as the first one is a protest. So blue is the warmest color has kind of all of these things wrapped together. And that's really why, and I do apologize. And I understand that Kelly had kind of made fun a little bit. And I, I, I accept that like, well, like about your computer thing, like computer consoles, buttons and doorknobs, you know, it's like choosing three different things for one topic. Oh. And I probably should have, and I usually, I usually do this because, you know, in, in years past, or in months past, it's we used to come up with one of these for every week. So it was, I was very much a stickler for let's separate these things off so that we we can save topics for later times because there's a lot of topics that I'm going to have to come up with. Um, so I was a little slop. I, I admit that I was a little sloppy with this one, but I think blue is the warmest color kind of brings them all together. So I hope you guys will see blue as the warmest color at some point. All right. Well, what uh, did the listeners do with this topic? All right. So we have uh, a listener named Matthias Becker. Um, he says, hi, here are my picks for the 303. Number one, uh, the Lord of the Rings, the two towers. When the elven soldiers surprisingly arrive shortly before the Battle of Helm's Deep, the elves march into the fortress in tight military formation with the disheveled and exhausted human warriors looking on in amazement. It is a very powerful scene and a very good call by Peter Jackson who introduced this scene, which I've been told does not exist in the books. Yeah, there were no elves at at Helm's Deep. Everybody knows that. (laughs) (laughs) No elves except in the... No elves. So that's... so Matthias lists them as one, two, three. So I just read his number one pick. So uh, Matthias's number two pick is uh, in the segment uh, from, oh, from Fantasia. <laughs> okay. Jesus. It, in the segment about the Sorcerer's Apprentice, Mickey smashes the unruly bewitched broom to bits with an axe, <laughs> but all the tiny pieces come to life again and grow to full-sized brooms. Uh, this army of brooms marches in and out of the house and keeps filling it with water. The animation in this scene is absolutely incredible, giving the location a lot of depth. And with very simple tools, primarily shadows and synchronous movements, synchronous movements, sorry, the animators create an extremely menacing scene, which in its in, in its effectiveness and artistic brilliance is unrivaled probably even today, not to mention the power of Dukas's orchestral piece and the way in which the animation perfectly matches that music. This topic's made out of rubber. That's all I got to say. <laughs> so Matt, uh, he, uh, so Matt's number three is James Bond, Live and Let Die. The New Orleans – oh, this is a good one. I yeah, remember this now. The New Orleans-style funeral procession near the beginning of the film made a great impression on me as a child and still works to this day. Yeah, that's a good point, Matt. I, I didn't. I remember being confused by that, and then being—that's the first time I really understood. They look at a funeral as as a celebration. Well, and they kill a dude, and then it becomes a real celebration. They yeah, all get seriously. excited. Yeah. Next, we have Colton W. Westrate. Since Tom has surely watched Police Story 3 by now. Not to be confused with Police Academy. And probably immediately followed up by watching Police Story 4, a.k.a. Jackie Chan's first strike, because he loved it so much. My submission was probably already on his list. Just in case, though, (laughs) my pick is the ceremonial funeral procession honoring Uncle Seven's death. (laughs) 
I won't go all IMDb on you, but suffice it to say that it's a parade, march, and protest all in one. The best part is the anti-sniper umbrella trick done over 20 years before Atomic Blonde, which I almost chose. Also, Jackie kicks ass while wearing huge stilts. Later, dudes. Colton. Oh, he's got stilts. I like it. Okay, man. Uh, next, we have John Renninger. John Renninger says, so the first thing I thought of was a parade, so I went all non-political parades. The quote from my third favorite is, it horrible. My father went the same way. This parade consists of a bus, a steamroller, and a marching band playing Louie Louie that all run over Ricardo Montalban at the end of The Naked Gun. <laughs> I remember this. Take that, Animal House. Of course you do, Mr. <laughs> Look, there's a train peeking at me from behind that tree. Um, yeah. So John Renner says, the other two are just really good parades and musicals. The 76 Trombones Parade at the end of The Music Man is great. My favorite parade ever in a movie is in Hello, Dolly, when Barbara Streisand is being is belting out before the parade passes by. It's a wonderful, supposedly New York City parade, and the moment in the movie why Dolly Levy decides that she's not going to be a matchmaker for other people but make a move on Walter Matthau's Horace Vandergelder. This is John Renninger. It sounds enticing. So Arthur Giovangeli says he's got two, one protest and two parades. Number three, Batman, 1989. Uh, Jack Nicholson holds a rather large float parade in Gotham, in oh which God. he uses several huge balloons to spew poisonous gas. <laughs> Batman interrupts the parade with his bat plane and steals all the balloons before they can do any more harm. <laughs> The Wouldn't they think Batman. that would happen every parade? Where, oh, Joker's <laughs> going to poison us again. <laughs> Upset the like Joker so much that he shoots his number one henchman. I forgot this. Plane versus parade. <laughs> Arthur's number two is Billy Elliot. Jesus. <laughs> the movie takes place during a coal miner strike, and when Jamie Bell's dad, Gary Lewis, Sees his son dancing, he decides to become a scab to get enough money to get his, so his son can attend school. We see him in a heavily fortified bus driving through the striking workers that he used to be a part of, all while the bus is pelted with rocks and other debris. I remember liking the idea of a man choosing to be part of something that he was recently protesting, and they did a good job of making the strike look much more dangerous and frightening from the side of the scabs. And finally, Arthur's Number one is The Fugitive. Tommy Lee Jones chases Harrison Ford through the Chicago St. Patrick's Day parade while Ford really? tries to, to melt into the crowds of people. I don't remember that. Do you Supposed, guys? So, no, I don't at all. Supposedly, the crew just sent Ford and Jones out into the actual parade and oh. had them walk around with a couple of cameramen following following them the scene works whether or not that story is true i especially love the image of ford trying to blend in by putting on a leprechaun hat (laughs) oh no i do remember it yeah uh next we have nick d happened to have because they didn't plot that scene out but he happened he just happened to have that yeah next we have Nick, nick d hi guys since i can't pick the aids walk where kramer won't wear a ribbon my picks. Uh. <laughs> Here's a quote from my number three. If they can dye this river green today, 
Why can't they dye it blue the other 364 days of the year? This is the St. Patrick's Day Parade in the future. <laughs> Um, so Nick D chooses this as well. Does Harrison Ford say that line? Apparently. Angrily. Right. Harrison Ford is trying to track down the one-armed man, so he goes to this weird high-rise prison in Chicago. Unfortunately, he <laughs> happens to visit the prison at the same time that Tommy Lee Jones visits it, visits it and he's discovered. Tommy Lee Jones chases him out of the prison, but Harrison Ford loses him in the parade by taking off his coat, putting on a green Irish hat. There's no answer to that. <laughs> How are you going to see him? You, now, he, now he doesn't stick out at all. <laughs> Harrison Ford in a leprechaun outfit? I wouldn't even... I mean, it's just like looking at clouds. <laughs> oh, guys. Uh, yeah, he's a genius. Doctor. <laughs> Uh, your favorite Irish accents. Uh, it reminds me of um, Brad Pitt in The Devil's Zone. All right, so Nick D's right, number two yeah. is a march from the movie Glory. After the first black regiment has been through training, they march the streets of town on their way towards the battlefront. Edwards Wick does his best to cheese up the scene, Hollywood style, with slow motion and swelling music, but even he can't suppress the instincts of his actors, of Morgan Freeman's apprehension about the future, Andre Brower's feeling of deep, uh, Andre Brower feeling a deep sense of pride, and Denzel Washington glaring at the white bystanders with bitterness. And Nick D's number one choice. Do you guys remember Glory? Yeah. Watermelon? Not, not a lot. Or is that Dirty Dancing? Shut up, Kelly. Nobody puts Denzel in the corner. Uh Uh, D's number one is Bernardo Bertolucci's 2003 masterpiece, The Dreamers. Hmm. I don't know this movie. Um, Green. So her her first movie, I think. The movie is Michael Pitt. Oh, right. Checked up with Eva Green. Oh, right. Wow. All right. I think they're brother and sister, if, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, hmm. Yeah, figure that uh, one out. Michael Pitt shacked up with Eva Green and her pretentious French brother in a bohemian oh. Paris apartment. Drunk and high and having sex and arguing about movies and politics. But all dreams must end, and his does when a brick is thrown through the window and the student protest outside interrupts their safe, youthful cocoon. They run out into the streets and the French kids are swept along with the protesters. But Michael Pitt finally decides that he can't follow and turns and walks away. It's a metaphor. For America. For America. Uh, next, we have Chris Markardson, who is the person that um, inspired me to pick Paprika. He's Canada's America. Uh Chris is number three. I was thinking about using the number three, Jason Bourne. Well, I didn't like the movie very much. I did like the Greek protest slash riot scene near the start of the movie. That was uh, total black hat parade. Chris Markinson's number two is Atomic Blonde. Yeah. An umbrella heavy protest march takes place during my favorite action scene of 2017. I love that pick. Chris. I feel like a Zack Snyder. Uh, sequence in the telephone. And Chris Markinson's number one is Paprika. Uh, there's a parade that takes place during the movie that is wonderfully animated, and that's all he says. And I love how 
economically, he puts that. Thanks, guys. Chris. <laughs> Jason Bourne. I mean. Yep. So uh, if, if, do you guys have any runners up? Uh, I wanted to make sure to pick also a march and a group protest. So uh, my group protest is one of the clues they follow up on in The Nice Guys is some people having a die-in in front of uh, City yeah. Hall. And, oh, that's great. <laughs> and they're just laying around on the ground, and, and Russell Crowe is asking them questions, and they're not responding. And one of them finally says, we're dead, asshole. <laughs> but then one of them speaks up and gets in the car with them and, and leads them to the next point in the clue, or the next right. clue in the in the, in the Parade. Plot. There's no parade in Nice Guys, though. There uh, is that, that group protest. Uh, and then my favorite march. Um, so in 1930, uh, the British in India had – they were taxing salt, and they were the only people who could produce salt. And it was part of their, their colonial stranglehold on India. And Gandhi, in what I think is probably the first mass instance of nonviolent uh, disobedience, civil disobedience. Uh, he did what's called now the Salt March, where 78 people set out from his ashram and then marched 250 miles to the ocean, the Indian Ocean, and made salt, oh. uh, which is against the British law. And you know, he by the time he got there, there were literally like thousands of people with him. This was a he got a lot of attention around the world for this. It basically. Uh, inspired a lot of what uh, Martin Luther King did uh, in, during the Civil Rights Movement. But I think this is probably, and I could be wrong, this is probably the first instance, it's certainly the first instance of a, a, a global, of civil disobedience having a global impact. Mm. Uh, and after this, you know, Gandhi was arrested. Tens of thousands of people were arrested. The British just couldn't keep up with it. And they finally collapsed and they gave in and they invited Gandhi to come to London and have talks. And uh, eventually Aww. this led to I mean, British independence wasn't until after World War II, uh, but Gandhi was super instrumental in this. Anyway, uh, the Richard Attenborough biopic, when he shoots the Salt March, which is a pivotal moment in Gandhi's career, uh, he just does some, you know, having a handful of people set out, and then he films just them walking down the road, and then other people start joining them, and it just creates he, – he, Richard Attenborough very cannily visualizes this idea of a snowballing – protest, uh, which is actually in a microcosm how civil disobedience worked in the case of Indian independence or the civil rights movement. There's such a great visual of it as more and more people join this march, and then eventually he gets to the sea, and the camera pulls back, and you just see throngs of people just crowding around the sea, and it all started with these 78 people marching out of the ashram 250 miles away. So Richard Attenborough's presentation of a group march in Gandhi. Really They're wearing like white it. like snow. So it's like snow. salt. Yeah. Like salt, oh. as one would <laughs> yeah. say. Yeah. Salt balls. Yeah. Um, that reminds me of The Last Emperor. Hmm. Um, isn't there a protest by the monks when they're – like there's a – Join us or fuck off! That one day. <laughs> I think it's The Last Emperor. Yeah, it's the communist. Where, the, where, where, there, where there's, a, there's, a, there's a sacred place where they're – where the eunuchs, where their genitals are kept after they've been eunuchized, and that place is burned, and they are protesting that 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 this is happening, this is an important point to them. Am I am I totally making this up? 
I don't know, but that's a Bernardo Bertolucci movie as well. Yeah, it's a Bertolucci movie, yeah. He loves his parades. He loves his, yeah, yeah protests. Uh, He's our Schumacher. A, a terrible runner-up I would choose, just because I think that he overdoes it, is in the movie Contact. Because uh, I think there's a there's there's a oh, yeah, yeah, there's right. a protest of people outside it's where he's lurking, where he's lurking, and it's just and it's just that I think it's Zemeckis just overdoing it. I don't understand the very first joke because I looked this one up uh, in a movie Dingus and I love that Kelly Wan probably hasn't seen called Down with Love. Uh, it yeah. opens with Kelly Wand. How dare you? You would like this movie. Eh, maybe. Yeah. It opens well, with uh, Renee Zellweger arriving in New York. And the very first joke of the movie, a little narrator is explaining that she's coming to New York. She's publishing her book and this is where her publisher is. And she's coming to visit. Uh, it opens with her walking out of a, her hotel, looking for a cab and a cab pulls up across the street and a bunch of protesters get out. It's almost like a clown car scenario. I mean, there's only like you know eight of them, but all these protesters get out, and they're carrying signs that say, you know, ban the bomb, down with the bomb, because down with love is set in uh, you know, the 50s. Um, mm. And they all pile out of the taxi, and Renee Zellweger crosses the street, and she gets in the cab, and the cab drives away, and the camera stays on them at the sidewalk holding up their signs. And as the cab pulls away, it backfires, and they all drop to the ground like they're being shot at. And that's it. That's the joke. I have no idea why that's in there or why that's a joke. Because or... they think it's a gunshot. And well, no, just... right. But why is it? Why is it people protesting the the, the atomic bomb? <laughs> that's what I don't understand. Why is it a joke that these protesters think they're being shot at? Or did they actually die? And that's the joke. Like the car kills them with its exhaust. Well, is it a, they're dead. Is it a duck and cover joke? And they don't really duck and cover. I mean, maybe that's what it's going for. Because that was all the, you know, that's what we had. It makes me crazy when I don't get a joke in a movie. I go, wait, what? Kelly Wan, then you need to watch Down With Love and explain the very first joke to me and then watch the rest of the movie and enjoy. Maybe it's a, it's setting up something and then someone dies later from a car exhaust. No? All right, now I want to see it. You just talked to me into wanting to see it. Well, it's setting up uh, the Ant-Man movies because that's what, that was Peyton Reed, right, Dingus? And that was the 50s. Mm Mm-hmm. Ant-Man? That wasn't the 50s. Uh, was it? I thought, he, I thought he was like a spokesman for Uncle Ben's Rice or something. Ant-Man? What are yeah. you talking about? I don't know. Right? No. Just rewriting it. Kelly, I do think, you have any runners up? Yeah, Kelly on Widow. Now. All right. Now. now. All right, Tom. All right. I want for the next 3x3, three three, and this is uh, this is some weeks off, so you've got plenty of time. Uh, yeah, Peyton Reed did the stupid Ant-Man movies. Uh You've got plenty of time. We'll be reminding you about this in the future. There's another one you get now. Evangeline Lilly is a lead uh, superhero dingus. You love her. She's so good Uh, and lost. Evangeline Lilly is one of the leads. So exciting. She's my favorite elf. uh, Well, certainly they they call the movie Wasp and the Ant-Man, right? They wouldn't put his name first, right? uh, Let's see. Ant-Man and the Wasp. She's a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant in that movie. (laughs) It's their, uh, it's their, their summer tent pole for Marvel. Great. I can't wait. Uh, okay. I want for the next three by three, and this is super simple, your favorite auditions. That's it. Very easy. <laughs> so send those in to three. Wait, ed- what? Why are you going, wait, what? Dingus, do you not know what an audition is? You've worked as an actor. How can you not know after all these years what an audition is? So when you turn on the do car. You mean- 
Why is that? Why is that confusing you? <laughs> additions that take place in movies or additions for movies that we've already seen. Well, additions that dumb? take place in movies. Yeah. What, All right. What? Yes, I when am I did, dumb. I mean, when I, I did my favorite. When I picked the salt march as my favorite march, it wasn't the actual salt march. It was in the movie Gandhi. No, it's the picked, salt that you put on your food when you watch the, the popcorn. Yeah, auditions in Dingus, can you honestly not think of and don't say if you can? An audition in a movie that you liked, an audition scene. Maybe think back to your favorite movie of last year. I don't know. I know I've got my favorite one already, but I just <laughs> All right, so send those in. Not you, Dingus. You'll show up to read it on the uh, air. But yeah, if you're well, listening, Kelly Wan, you don't send it in either. You just show up and read it on the air in a month. If you're listening, be thinking about your favorite auditions and at some point in the coming weeks. Send those to 3x3 at quarter3.com. We'll read them on the air. If by any chance you're you're listening after – March 25th, 2018, then too late. You've missed your chance. But now you get to hear this part, which is yeah. added content. Uh, also, as Dingus mentioned at the head of the podcast, this is we're in the middle of our uh, fundraiser for this year. Currently in the lead, the movie most likely to get picked, something I've never heard of. It sounds like something Kelly Wand would know. A movie from 1980 called Midnight Madness. What? Ah, uh, yep. well, sounds really familiar. Yep, I'll bet you know it. Kelly Wan, it totally looks like your kind of movie. Uh, but that's currently in the lead. If you don't want us to watch that, now's your chance to send in more votes for other movies because it's currently uh, – it's polling high, they would say, I guess. I feel like the <laughs> there are always movies I'm excited about or I wind up being excited about. Uh, Except for, well, you got thank God I got married too. Or why the hell, what the hell was I thinking getting married again? <laughs> that's, yeah, thank God I got like that. married. <laughs> that was uh, for next week. We're going to see a movie called Red Sparrow, directed by Francis Lawrence, starring uh, Jennifer Lawrence. No relation. Wait, did I screw that up? Yes. Is Francis She's... Lawrence, the the uh, the uh, Constantine guy, Dingus. Yeah. He has you the see, same last no, name wait. as Jennifer Lawrence. I'm just now realizing that. He's the I Am Legend guy. Oh well, to some people, to the rest Ugh. of us, he's the Constantine guy. Yeah. <laughs> this uh, but is the movie that made her want to fix our democracy and leave acting, just like Daniel Day Lewis. It's her last movie for a year. Do you know that? What is? We'll save that for the podcast, Kelly. We'll talk oh, about okay. that next, next week. Yeah. I think it was that interesting. So join us for that. If you see Red Sparrow, send in some comments to a 3x3 at quarter2x3.com. Uh, and we'd love to include those. Uh, Wait, you don't mean the Red Sparrow that was outside your window during when you watched the movie, right? No, I'm talking about your, your – yeah, Just go look at a Red Sparrow outdoors and then send in your thoughts – about gotcha. red arrows. Gotcha, Wait, did Francis Lawrence do the Hunger Games stuff too? Good lord, I don't think so. I hope not. Oh, no. uh, I'm gonna have to watch those. What you no. have to watch? Yeah, Dingus, just watch them in case. Just, just in case. Yeah. Yeah. There, so join us for that next week. I am Tom Chick. I've been here with Christian <laughs> Malinsky. <laughs> it's Christian Morosky and Kelly Wand. I really loved Katie Seagal as the mom in I, Tanya. I hope she gets the Oscar. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees when I'm cold in between. Counting one, two, three, feet apart, I'm out of free, getting down with three feet, everybody loves old time. Hey, on Netflix, uh... Under Women Who Rule the Screen, I found The Thing. I prefer that we be more capable and prepared 
than lucky. Observation, reflection, faith, and determination. In this way, we may navigate the path as it unfolds before us. All right, and we have what? Eight more recharge cycles to go before we get to Aurigai 6? Is that a question, Yes, sir? Walter, that's a question. That is correct. Uh, and under family movies, they had a Helter Skelter. So. You guys think I don't know things, but I know things. Hmm. Wait, so the things that were in the movie, the thing, or the things that were outside in the lobby on the counter when you were watching the thing? I did not capitalize things in that quote. Ah, made you say things. <laughs> just like dog, just like Cat in the Hat. <laughs> 